Hey, what's up, Adam? What's going on? <laughs> How are you, buddy? I'm doing good, brother. Yourself? Good, man. What's happening? Thank you so much for having me on, man. I was a big fan of the show and not just a friend, so I love coming on here. Dude, we've known each other a long time now. It's getting weird. Getting weird. Getting weird. Getting weird. It's getting well, on there. Well, man, I always brag about like how cool it was where because you were busy as shit when you did the culture high because everybody always asked being you know fans of the show they're like man rogan seems so cool i'm like you came to edmonton to do that you're doing your show it was after your show pack show at the the river, river Cree. Cree. yeah and then we started the interview at like 11 we didn't get done till 1 30 in the morning then you had to fly out in the morning yeah it was a couple hours later i had to leave yeah like I just think your, your fans should know how cool it is that you you do so much to try to help other people. I'm really appreciative, man, that you took the time and and did that when crazy. You flew in that day, did your show, went for dinner, came afterwards, busted out two and a half hours, then flew home a couple hours later. I think that's really cool, man. Oh, well, thanks, man. It's not that hard. Just talking. Yeah. Not that big a deal. But, <laughs> you know uh, how to talk? I can do that. But the, the documentary was really good, man. Culture thanks, High man. was, you got, I mean, I was wondering, I was like, man, where are they going to take it? Because you guys covered so much of marijuana prohibition in the union. Uh, there's two documentaries that Adam's done. Uh, the Union, which is all about BC and uh, what's going on in British Columbia as far as the economy, which is just inexorably wrapped up in the cannabis market. It's really kind of crazy. The, the world of British Columbia, like literally the economy up there would kind of implode if pot went away. Well, that's a, like they compare like tourism's number one. And then it was like a close second, because how do you determine exactly what black market money is? But it right. was in the estimates were not being questioned at the five to seven to nine billion dollar range of the black market of the marijuana <laughs> industry, right? So, so much weed. So much being shipped and majority of it at that time was going to the United States, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we looked at that because originally the, the reason we did the union and looked focused so much on the BC industries, I looked at getting into it. I came back from New York <laughs> and all the guys that like I went to school with and stuff were growing and were doing really well. They had nice new houses, new Harleys living on the lake. And that's even where the name the union came up from when I was like, dude, what the fuck has he been doing? He's doing really well. And they're like, man, he's in the union. I'm like, which one? I want to sign up. And they're like, he grows dope. And I'm like, oh, that's how he's making his money. So, yeah, well, that that first documentary was really fascinating, and it put you guys on the map. And it took a while before you decided to do another one on pot. Yeah, you would, like I was like, where are they going to come up with other shit to <laughs> yeah, talk about? Because you covered everything so thoroughly. Well, thank you. We were the same problem. Like Brett was really stressed about that. The director, like he was just like, man, he's like, I thought I did it all in the union. Like, what, 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 right. what can I do? But the fans really wanted another one. Like when you had me on the last time, we were doing the Kickstarter campaign, and we were just receiving thousands of messages and everybody's like you got to do another one you got to do another one so brett really dove into as you saw human culture and politics right and then kind of fitting we went big into looking at the how policing has changed in our culture mm. because of the drug war where one of the biggest assets that police had is information to prevent new crimes but something that's happened almost strictly because of the drug war because of the way that the ratting system goes like hey we catch you for minor possession and you've already got parole you give us the bigger guys and we'll abolish your thing and you won't go to jail well people saw their brothers 
cousins, mothers, family members getting arrested for simple possession and serving two to three years that they were like, well, I don't want to talk to the police anymore. So when a violent crime happens, rape, murder, something really heinous, you don't want to talk to the cops because you're like, he might start grinding on me for simple drug possession or something like that, right? Right. And the cops we interviewed said like during their career, they specifically witnessed the change. Like in the beginning of their career when they're in their 20s, they go through communities and people would come up to them and want to see their badge and take a picture and see their handcuffs and it was like cool by the end of their career they would drive down neighborhoods and nobody wanted to talk to them right because it just felt that they're warring on us it's us versus them versus being you know serving and protecting the community wow that's fucked the 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 scene where the guy has his dog shot or the cops break into his house and there was nothing there i mean he had like paraphernalia they found a pipe with resin i mean shoot his dog his little kids yeah. I mean you and I both have kids like could you imagine people coming in your house like and shooting your dog in front of your kid and it was a little yappy dog too. yeah it wasn't like some fucking werewolf Rottweiler or something yeah. like that it was just it's so sick because they do it to intimidate the people and to let the people know they mean business and because they can you know you know that story about the mayor who lives outside of DC they accidentally did this to him uh, yes, yeah. I, I heard about that. Yeah, it would have been a good story. I was wondering if you were going to cover it in the the documentary. It's a crazy story for folks who don't know about it. This guy, the apparently the postman was having pot shipped to this house because he knew that this was on his route, so he would just intercept it. And so, like, he knew that the package was from his friend, so he would he would look at all the packages that came to this guy's house. And because it was in a nice area, uh, a lot of people wouldn't question it. Well, somehow or another, the DEA got wind of this. They realized that a package was coming to this guy's house. And so they just decided to raid the dude's house. They kick in the door, wave in the full four. All you heard was, Papa, don't hit me. No. <laughs> no, they, they, sh- they shoot the guy's dog, and then they ran out. They had labs, you know, like which are like the friendliest dogs ever. ever. The dog ran out into the yard to hide, and they went and found him and shot him. You know, I mean, they, wow. they, they like, executed him. They t- shot two dogs and then they zip tied the family. Um, and this guy was a fucking mayor, you know, and he's like, oh, you cunts. I, I can't believe But it's kind of good for it, not for the dogs, obviously, to get yeah. shot, but for a guy like that to see, like, this is what happens when you're a regular person. If they don't know you, you know, they don't know about your relationship with City Hall or any of that nonsense. They just, this is how they treat you if they can. Well, and then you can imagine if you're from a lower economic situation, right? Mm -hmm. Now you're stuck in the legal system. Good luck, right? Trying to get out of that and fight your way out. You are looked at as a criminal from day one, Mm -hmm. even if you're innocent. And we go deep into the asset forfeiture laws in the film too, right? Where they take everything in certain states and then you have to prove Mm -hmm. that they didn't have the right to take in the first place that that wasn't proceeds of crime, right? Go in and take, it's funny because that opening scene like people are shocked by it but i've we've received a lot of people that were really like huge and they are so mad they're like that was not needed in the film it's ridiculous i stopped watching as soon as you put it there and well they're babies they, <laughs> they need to realize this is what's going on I mean, you're doing a documentary on disturbing things you want to leave out the disturbing things from the documentary on disturbing things exactly like in the theater when you watch it with the crowd which is always my favorite part as a filmmaker when mm-hmm. you can really see it having an impact and you see the audience right there that wakes everybody up. The credits come in and it's like, boom, that happens. And everybody's like, oh shit, okay, we're going on a ride here, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's, well, it's an awful ride. You know, that, that really hurts my feelings, that one. That's, uh, that's hard to deal with. That asset forfeiture law is really fucked, too. There's a guy who is a store owner and uh, he had made, apparently, he made too many deposits that were less than 
uh, $10,000 in cash. And they accused him of, you know, I guess they have some, some thing called structuring or something like that. And the idea being like, I'll, I'll pull this, the, uh, image or the, uh, the story rather. Cause it was, a, it's kind of a fucked up story, man. Cause this guy was just a store owner. I mean, he, there's no evidence whatsoever that this guy has done anything wrong. I mean, he's doing all these interviews in his store. He would take some of the money from his store. You know, I don't know if you put it in a, a safe or whatever, and he would get up to, you know, 8000 9000 bucks and just go deposit it in the bank. Yeah. Thought there was no big deal. The DEA came in and just stole all of his fucking money. Like, literally stole all of his fucking money. And now this guy is stuck. Like and now you have to go spend all the money to try to argue. Yeah, more than they stole, I'm yeah. sure. You know, it's crazy. Well, that's the part, you know, through both films that was so... I think shocking for us is when you sit down with all these ex-law enforcement, because in the culture, we sat down with Sean Dunnigan, who was a former DEA analyst, and you sit down with... Yeah, you got it, Jamie. That's it. I just right. pulled it off of... Here's, here's a, this gentleman. He's a convenience store owner. Structuring policy. So what is that? If they see too many deposits just conveniently under $10,000, yes. they consider it... Yeah. I mean, but this guy, he just owns a convenience store. He gets cash. I mean, it's all right there. It's all super obvious. And the guy's gone, you know, public with it all. So it's it's a massive embarrassment for the IRS. They're just, it's just evil. It's just the fact that they think that they can do this. You know, like there's no evidence whatsoever. Suspicion of structuring is what they call. And by the way, that violates their own requirements. It, it's not like they have they have like requirements that you have to meet in order for them to take the money if they accuse you of structuring. There has to be some evidence whatsoever, but there's nothing, and they're <laughs> continuing to pursue it. Well, the DEA has been getting hit hard lately because you've seen um, Michelle Leinhardt step down, yeah. right? She's a fucking <laughs> dummy. <laughs> Oh my god, that lady's so dumb. Well, that clip is so good. I mean, it's been all over, but we use it in the culture high, yeah. too, right? Where that guy just grills her, right? <laughs> Jared it's like, Polis, yeah. is meth worse for you yeah. than marijuana? Uh, all drugs <laughs> are bad. Again. All illegal. Again, all drugs <laughs> are bad. Yeah, that part. She's so dumb. It's amazing that that lady figured out a way to get that gig. She is so poorly equipped to, d to discuss the nature of addiction and drugs in front of the whole world like that. You could see her deer in the headlights look like, did you fucking prepare for this at all, lady? <laughs> well, that's, I think Jank in the film, he does a great part where he explains, he's like, you know, Obama could have picked anyone. He's like, why did he pick the most right winger Republican? He's like, because in that way, he'll seem more moderate and it might help him to get votes in the future. And yep, that's exactly what it is. It's just, he's really good at playing that stupid fucking politics game. Well, it's that line that Jank used in the film that I love. And he's like, and that's what people doesn't, nobody gets about Obama. He's a politician. Just like the rest of them right mm -hmm. don't be mistaken there's no other way to get to that position where you're gonna actually get in the White House you're one of those two guys you know the Commission for presidential debates is a privately owned institution people don't a lot of people don't know like can you see those guys that are being uh, that are debating each other on television you, you figure like well those guys are the the most popular candidates this is not exactly, you know, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're like, the ones marketed correctly and have the money behind them. Yeah, you have to, just in order to get into the Commission for Presidential Debates, um, and to, to get into the uh, the debate, you have to have 15% 
uh, polling in five polls, and they can choose those polls. They can just go and rant, decide. Who this chooses? Poll. Who chooses that? The, the people that run the Commission for Presidential Debates, which is owned by like some multinational corporations, and there's a bunch of bunch of fuckery involved. Well, uh, they let Ron Paul in, or excuse me, um, the fuck's his name? The old dude, Ross Perot. Ross oh, Perot. Yeah, yeah. Well, let Ross yeah. Perot <laughs> fucked everything up for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> so when Ross Perot, f- people who don't remember Ross Perot, he was this crazy Texas billionaire who, um, you know, accused uh, essentially the IRS and the federal bank of, of running this crazy pyramid scheme. And, you know, I mean, he was uh, talking about the federal bank and the federal reserve long before anybody ever understood that the federal reserve had nothing to do with federal. I mean, they call it the Federal Reserve. It's like it's a privately owned company. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of hilarious that all of our money goes through that. I mean, the the hustle runs so deep and has been going on for so long. But Ross Perot was this billionaire da- dude who this is pre-internet, and he uh, bought out time on on television and put his own television show on and had like fucking charts and graphs and showed where the money was going and everybody was like, whoa, whoa, what? Like he was. He was like the first blip of this information, uh, getting it out there to the public, that is now like all over the internet. All over the internet. You know, like people of this day and age, like you talk talk to the average 20-year-old kid today and ask her like how the Federal Reserve works, and I bet there's a lot of them that'll go... I'll tell you exactly how it works. Yeah, know, or like if they don't bullshit. know, if yeah. they don't know exactly, they're at least hip to it that it's a private corporation mm-hmm. and they, they're definitely that access. You guys talk about a lot here on the podcast, but that access to information has changed the game. There's no more of those. I used to call them toppers in high school. That like whatever story you had, like you had a cool story, and they'd be like, "Yeah, well, this one time I like, right. how like, <laughs> like now you can be like, okay, so when were you there? And you said you met such and such celebrity. Well, he wasn't there on those dates, right? He was touring. Like now you can call out that bullshit yeah you could snopes it or like the urban legend that was you know when i was in high school was like that guy did so much acid he thought he was an orange or a banana and now he just just scared don't peel me don't peel me and now you <laughs> snopes and everybody's like no that's a common misconception of a guy that i'm sure maybe somewhere down the road there was someone that thought something similar but that was like the scare story urban legend that you'd heard when i was going to high school yeah i didn't even find i found out about snopes through the the rocket one where the guy like tied a rocket to his car and flew into a mountain and died. I remember hearing about that. I was like, what? It was like one of those Darwin Awards one. But then it, uh, Snopes was like, eh. I don't think so. It wasn't true. Eh, well, it might have been. The thing about that is, like, you know, for sure, if someone has a rocket and someone has a car, there's someone dumb enough to try to strap those two things together and see what's <laughs> up. Like, it's not outside the realm of possibility. Absolutely it's not. N- it's not saying, like, a guy went to the moon and, you know, and found a hubcap. Uh, after inheriting a nightclub for several years when I was younger, I've seen tremendous amounts of stupid things happen, especially when they're under the influence of alcohol. You, you can't put it past what people will do. Every time you think you've seen it all, a new one comes by and you're like, uh, okay, now I've seen it all. Well, that's how the, the whole political system is, is capable of working in the first place is because like, people really are dumb. They really, you really can trick a good giant chunk of the people. And what we were talking about before about the Commission for Presidential Debates, um, now it's it, because it, Ross Perot came in and fucked up everything, and he's probably the reason why Clinton got elected in the first place over Herbert Walker Bush, the old man Bush. But now because of that, it's like virtually impossible. They jacked it up from five percent to fifteen percent, and you would have to spend. They think the a conservative estimate is two hundred and fifty million dollars just in order to reach fifteen percent in popular polls 
in like any popular polls. And so to get five, in, and also they would have to pick those five. Like they could pick a few that you weren't in, you know, or that you didn't pull well in. They go, oh no, you know, it's not consistent. like states that you definitely don't match with the the overall consensus. Yeah, it's just it's so uh, it's just really weird that it's been so long, and this hustle's been going on for so long, and no one like no one in the political system, no one in like the Supreme Court or in Congress, no one is stepping up to say, hey. Why exactly do these guys get all this money? But there's some weird people in the Supreme Court that are oh, on. Yeah. <laughs> oh, for sure. I, I actually started looking that up from guests you'd had on here that talked about that. And I started looking up some of those people. I'm like, are you kidding me that this guy's in a position of power? Like, that's fucking scary. Cla Clarence Thomas. Remember all that shit with him and, and Anita Hill? And the, the he was at the, the pubic hair and a Coca-Cola. And he was like uh, a sexual harasser. But that could have been bullshit, too. You know, that's a good way to diffuse somebody. You know, just say he's talking shit about, you know, sex in the yeah. office. And I just think that we've reached this weird point where the age of information and the old guard, the way politics has always been done, which is through deception and cronyism and horse shit. It's like they're not compatible with each other because the age of information is going to slowly but surely expose all these things. And certain things like... I mean, I firmly believe that the internet is the primary reason why marijuana is legal in Colorado. Marijuana is legal in Washington D.C. Marijuana is legal, and which is really kind of crazy when you I think mean, about it. It's, oh, and it's changing all over the world like that, right? And I would totally agree. We put that in the culture high, right? Yeah. That's the because now you know when politicians like in the union we have that clip of Ronald Reagan, and he he's in that I don't know what press conference but he's like you know there's this new information and these sign and i'm i'm you know surprised the media hasn't made it more available but they than they have but they believe marijuana could be the most dangerous drug that is in use in our society today remember it's that clip yep. we have in our trailer well nowadays you can literally be like okay i'm on WebMD. like what study are you referring to i'll look it up right now and right. come to my own conform conclusion but when he was doing those press conferences you're like hey this is a man of stature and power he's got information we're not privy to like man it is bad he's got science Scientists that know shit I don't. Yep. So now that's just pulled out of the woodwork. Like you see it in with Mitt Romney, we have some good clips of him where they kind of challenge him on things, right? And like the old Barbara Bush of like just say no to drugs. Like mm -hmm. you know, we show that scene with Jade and David, right? Five hundred seizures a day, and then he's taking the non psychoactive CBD, and now he's having one to two seizures a month. Which, All by the way, is my friend's child as well. Different, a different kid, but my friend's child had the exact same situation, and it's working great for him. Fantastic. His kid was having massive seizures all the time. He moved up to Seattle so that he could get him on. Uh, CBD oil, yeah, and now they're gone. Like, and the, the kid is much more engaging. He talks. He's like pretty severe autistic. Yeah. Well, and, and that's something with uh, Jason. He, he's not sure how much was from the condition or how much was from the medication that Jaden took for you know the first seven years of his life. He'd had yeah. over twenty five thousand pills, right? A lot of them <sighs> psychoactive pills. And it's sad that your friend has to move to another state in order to get something that is working. Yeah. We had a local girl in Kelowna, too, Kyla Williams, that we did the, we, we did a, a screening there, and we raised a whole bunch of money for her and presented a check for three grand, and they came to the screening. And same thing, they're fighting on the front line, saying that, because Canada has this real hokey thing with it, like it's federally approved due to a court case, right, where they said it's unconstitutional to deny people that are getting relief from something, right? So the... Canadian feds have 
they dance around saying, well, we don't approve of it, but if people are seeing benefits, we can't prohibit them from getting it. So you can get like a license in Canada that will make it anywhere across the country that allows you to use it. But they don't allow concentrates um, like oils mm -hmm. or edibles or anything like that. So for Kyla, who was only two or three at the time, essentially they're saying she has to smoke it. And her parents are like, that's ridiculous. Like, we should be able to get the oil because that's considered a concentrate, right? So they're like, well, no, we're going to, and her grandfather is actually ex-law enforcement. And he said, I'm going to break the law. I used to think like everybody else, because I used to arrest when people would bring up the marijuana medicinal argument. As a law enforcement officer, I'm like, that's a bunch of hippie bullshit until it happened to my granddaughter. Now I see what everybody was arguing about, right? And I'm going to fight just as hard so that my daughter can get access to safe medical marijuana that works for her. And she's responding tremendously. Like she's got her life back. She's focusing now. Seizures are, they, like she's been seizure free. <clears throat> that's great to hear man it's great to hear but it's it's sad to hear that it's so difficult to get it's sad to hear that it's it's such a complex issue but it's so simple I mean there's a plant it grows naturally and it's really good for you and <laughs> it's that simple the end right and, and it has benefits and if you regulate it and control it like other products recent and... studies have shown <laughs> this is one of the most dangerous plants ever observed well I oh, love more they... dangerous than strychnine uh, well, you know? well they always bring in the the well that's where everyone laughs in the theater when you bring up the popcorn analogy they're putting they're like they're like yeah they're like you know uh, if you eat a pound of salt you'll fucking die right yeah. he's like but if you put a little bit of pop, uh, salt on popcorn it's actually quite good tastes yeah. good right like you can't con like yes people can abuse just about anything yeah a pound of salt will fucking kill you you could go buy a pound of salt right now i mean any liquor store you go to you could drink yourself to death quite easily okay. you just go and just pick up a couple bottles of jack daniels and you're off to the races it's over former nightclub you know? owner i've seen there's nothing more destructive than that stuff nothing yeah, it's horrible nothing. it's horrible that that's our sanctioned drug like we would have a totally different culture and the evidence is coming out of denver you denver has the lowest dui rates they've ever recorded they have lower rates of uh, assault and murder than they've ever recorded they've, there's all these crazy numbers that are coming in and then the tax revenue is off the charts they're making so much fucking money they have to give it back to the people and they, sadly that's the only thing that's probably going to push a lot of other states right it's not sad though it's good no it's good it's good that it's sad but it's sad that it's i always get scared when it's the wrong moral right. reason of why they're doing it right, right. where right. it's that's the only reason and a politician will sell you on like well we want to help the people but it's really to make their pockets bigger yeah, I mean, it is sad, but that's the nature of the beast. That's like getting angry at a whore that she sucks your dick and now she wants money. I'm like, what? I thought it was good. You were really moaning. You probably enjoyed it. Come on. Good point. We're good not point. friends. Yeah. They're whores. They're all politicians are whores, man. I mean, that's really what they do. That's their, their, their job is to be fake and to get really good at being fake and figure out where the tide is turning. Yeah. Lick their finger and put it up and find out where that's the wind is That's the exact blowing. thing we have you doing in the culture eye, right? We're going we're gonna to go where the wind blows, right? We're going to go... That's from my hunting experience. Actually, you, know, you put powder in the air with, when you hunt. You shoot some powder up in the air and it takes you where the wind. Unless uh, we see the wind. Yeah, like baby shot. It's like yeah. these little things. You puff them in the air and it tells you which way the wind's blowing. But I think that what's, what's happening now with, with information is because the fact that all these studies are out and all these people that are involved in law enforcement have the opportunity to know someone who's benefiting from it, cancer, or whether it's uh, people that have uh, severe epilepsy, whether it's autism. There's so many different possible medical uses that could touch these people, and so they become very skeptical. Yeah. Like one of my good friends, 
He's a hardcore Republican. He's really silly. Like, he's one of those dudes. Like, he told me, he tried to tell me Obama was a Muslim. We were at a party. We were at a fucking party. I laugh at that stuff from Canada. I think that's really hilarious. Obama's the biggest Muslim in the country. Okay, dude. All right. But this guy, his mom got sick and uh, stage four cancer. And the CBD oil has helped her tremendously. And now he's become this evangelist for it. I mean, he's still not engaging in it himself. Yeah. But. He, you know, you could benefit from it. It's like all the things that people don't want out of pot are the things that pot are good for. Like this thing about like, oh, I don't want to lose control. Like, do you, you really do want to lose control. You just don't know. Like your <laughs> ego has this fucking terrible grip on you and it's putting you in this very confined way of looking at the world. You have a very confined, narrow gap that you're looking at the world through and Things like marijuana will open that gap up and allow you to to consider or reconsider your positions on all these things. And that's one of the most terrifying aspects of it to politicians as well as to law enforcement because the idea that they've been wrong this whole time and they're going to somehow or another have to justify all the different shit that they've done. It's like once the cat's out of the bag, like it is in Denver like it is in Washington state, that cat is going to get out of the bag everywhere. And and like you said, the internet is allowed where all those individual personal stories all over the world can be shared in real time. But you have HD on your phone, Mm -hmm. right? So you can film like Jaden or Jason did that with his son, Jaden, where he recorded like how the medication was working, the pharmaceutical and like in real time, like here's what it's doing. He's now having tremors. He's now having this from, you know, so and then you can put it on the internet where other people can get informed. Like you couldn't do that years ago, right? It was like an urban myth way down. I heard it might work. and. Right. Even we have a we have a, a personal clip that's in the DVD extras of the culture that didn't make it in the film, but it's about Dr. Lester Grinspoon, right? The first Ivy League doctor to start coming out with the real scientific evidence to cannabis, and he all did it on a bet to Carl Sagan. They were best friends, and <laughs> Carl Sagan used to smoke three to four joints every day and go work at NASA. Holla. And discover, <laughs> hey, some of the greatest theories to this day. Yeah. You've, you've interviewed Neil deGrasse Tyson. Like Carl mm-hmm. Sagan is who everybody aspires sure. to. And Lester, this is what's kind of funny about the story, is he went to prove Carl Sagan wrong. He said, he's like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a physician. I'm, I'm from heart. Like, le- Carl, that's just going to kill you. And Carl would be like, oh, relax, Lester. Have a puff. Like, it's not a big deal. <laughs> so Lester started looking into the literature and started pulling it from all the different universities and then realized that he'd been duped. He's like, you'd be fucking kidding me. I'm mm-hmm. a Harvard professor, and I was telling these people and I was completely wrong so then he wrote his first paper which Harvard totally tried to back out of and they didn't want to give him his professorship of marijuana reconsidered and then he wrote marijuana the forbidden medicine and then just as fate would have it his son Danny gets diagnosed with leukemia at 11 years old and he's ashamed of himself at the time that he didn't he was going through the regular treatment through the oncologist going through the chemo and everything and his, Danny was getting really sick and the nausea affected his son more than anything, right? His kid would be terrified for a week in advance of how sick he was gonna get. And finally, another physician was like, well, Lester, I read your stuff. Have you tried cannabis? Like the the stuff for anti-nausea seems to be amazing and the science is there. And he was like, well, I don't want to upset Harvard and Danny's like too young. And then here's the kind of the kicker of the story that's so funny is that they go to the very place that Prohibition's supposed to keep it out of. His mom and Danny just go themselves because they're willing to try it. They've read his paper at the manuscript. They go to the local high school, right? And Mrs. Grinspoon and Danny ask their friends. Within 10 minutes, they got the weed, smoked it. 
And his his oncologist said, like, right out thing, he's like, what did you guys do differently with Danny? He came in, took his therapy, left, and actually ate a full six-inch sandwich, one, where usually he was puking for three or four days, right? He was actually able, and Lester's like, it gave my son an extra two years of life because he could battle the nausea and keep some nutrition down. Mm. It's those little wins with health that go such a long way when you're in the cancer thing, right? Like, if yeah. you're able to eat a little bit of food and get a little bit of nutrition, and that little bit of nutrition helps your body to fight back on its own on top of the medication and that's where people can get caught up on the other side we're like it's the cure it's the cure not the cure right as we interviewed oncologists cancer is individual specific dna specific gender specific so what might work for you might not work for somebody else but that doesn't mean that if it does work for someone that shouldn't be a viable option for them to use that it's unquestionably a very effective treatment there's yeah. been many many peer-reviewed studies that show that without a doubt cannabis has a positive effect on people with cancer whether it's helping them sleep that's another big one it gives people sleep which helps your immune system which helps your immune system fight off cancer there's and it helps inflammation which also helps your body big fight one, off. a lot of stuff in inflammation yeah there's just so many so many factors that it's just it's gross man it's gross it's gross that we're in this position where we actually have to debate this this is like you and me sitting down talking about the benefits of drinking water yeah I mean, it really, it really is it's so yeah stupid. but if you drink too much mineral water that then... fucking water <laughs> that water is what these hippie kids are on they're fucking yeah, I just think it's it's a matter of time and hopefully we'll see it in our lifetime I'm, I'm still amazed that it's still illegal I mean I remember when I was a kid in high school I used to think it was the dumbest fucking thing ever uh, I couldn't imagine that it had some, and I didn't even know the facts of it. I mean, all I knew was that, like, there was drugs and there was pot, and pot just kind of made you dopey. Yeah. And, uh, but alcohol was legal, and I remember, like, I remember the first time I ever got drunk, I was at my friend's house, and uh, we were listening to, like, fucking The Doors and Led Zeppelin <laughs> and shit, and drinking Jack Daniels, and I was, like, 14. I just never should have, I was threw up in a cab. Uh, it was I... disgusting. Every all, Everything about it was completely disgusting. But um, I remember, like, the next day, like, this horrible hangover, this pounding headache, and thinking, how the fuck is that legal? <laughs> like, you could just drink whatever you want. It's not even like they distribute it to you. Like, you know, like, if you go and you say you get um, Adderall or Oxycontin or some sort of <clears throat> strong prescription drug, there it comes in pill form. It says, take two pills. They give you a bottle of Jack, and they're like, "Good luck, fuckface." Then they advertise it like it's the sexiest thing ever, yeah. right? Like it's beautiful guys that are clean cut, and girls that are smoking hot, and you're having a drink, and everything's perfect. As a former nightclub owner, I can say it hardly ever looks like that. It's messy, sweaty. <laughs> like it's not. When I see those commercials, I'm like, "That's very funny." I was like, "You should film in my bar a little bit." It doesn't look like that at all. <laughs> I mean, and I'm not anti-alcohol. It just it just staggers the imagination really Neither. well and here's a point I, I thought about when we were doing the union like as a nightclub owner and it, it was a interesting self-reflection that came through because I was on the other side of weed I was very anti when I was younger because I bought into all the bullshit as right? was I and when I owned a nightclub, when I, we started doing the union, you started learning so much. I remember, like, after interviewing Norm Stamper, the former police chief of Seattle, or Dr. Lester, like, my mind would be spinning for two weeks. I'm just like, I can't believe this. Like, I started looking at everything different. And then here I was, a nightclub owner, serving people booze that they want. And we're supposed to not over-serve, but if you find me a bar, 
I will find you a time when they overserve, right? Like yeah. people come up that like, I want six shots. You're like, well, no, actually, you're only supposed to order one per person. So can you get all six people to come to the table, please? The only bar where they don't overserve yeah. is at Disneyland. Yeah, <laughs> probably that is for real. I, if you go to the Disneyland hotel, yeah. they're strict as fuck. Like I tried to order four drinks, they wouldn't even give it to me. Like, not, they give you two drinks at a time. You're like, what? Like a shot and a beer. That's it. You know, or I don't even know if they have shots. I think they have like mixed drinks. That makes sense. But that's Disneyland. But I'm not surprised. But when at at the bar, when we had it, like I thought about like, you know, and you've seen it too. I've, I've heard you talk about like, you know, seeing the odd bar fight and stuff. Like, when something like that happened, I put it back to if it was in prohibition days, right? Like a fight happens, a guy gets knocked out really bad. Well, if it was during the days when you weren't supposed to be serving alcohol, I can just imagine what they did with the severely injured guy. They probably just threw him up the street and said, like, call an ambulance so it's not anywhere near us, otherwise we go down. Right. Whereas at least now, like, you know, yes, there's problems associated with alcohol. There's there's almost nothing we're going to do in society that's not going to have some kind of problem or social aspect where we're going to have to adapt and make sure it works perfectly, right? Well, uh, particularly alcohol. I mean, particularly, I, yeah. Like and I'm not anti-alcohol. And neither am I. I. I used to serve it. How can I? Yeah. Like, I used to sell it and make a profit. But it is the number one drug when it comes to, like, social problems, domestic violence. <laughs> like, the, so many different things go wrong when people drink. And it's everywhere. And the idea that somehow or another they've been able to demonize marijuana, which has the complete opposite effect. Show me a group of potheads that are en engaged in gang violence. Like they're <laughs> beating each other up. They're meeting in the fucking park and duking it out. It's not gonna, you're not going to. I mean, show me a bunch of people that are smoking pot that are, you know, running around uh, getting in bar you know pot bar fights it doesn't isn't it it's the opposite it is the uh, and it was something that i i witnessed organically when i was going through the discovery with the union like because at that time i owned the bar right so i'd see it every weekend it was like fight someone drive and what's crazy about booze the effect it has on people is sometimes like people will fight their friends oh, like yeah. they'll get drunk and like all of a sudden i'm like dude you guys are best friends and now yeah. you're willing to strike him in the face just because you're a little drunk like that's crazy but then we went to hemp fest where there's like 50,000 people smoking weed. No fights. It's like nothing. Everybody's like, you bump yeah. into someone, they're like, terribly sorry, man. And like, <laughs> sorry, it's like, dude. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I'm like, wow. I remember pointing that out, being like, I can't believe there isn't like, because we, we had a room full of 200, our capacity was only 235, and I mean, there's fights all the time. Well, imagine if you had like 50,000 people at Tequila Fest. <laughs> <laughs> you imagine what kind of a disaster. That's the start of the zombie apocalypse right there. <laughs> yeah, you, there would be like a, just a patch of people eating each other. <laughs> it's a fucking horrible drug, but uh, again, I support it. It's just, I just keep thinking that we're in the transitionary age. We're in the age where people are finally getting it. And that this, the, what's happened in Seattle and Colorado and Washington, D.C. is the first blip of this new movement that's going to spread across the country. And, and the, the politicians are going to have to adapt because politicians are whores, and yep. that is the good thing about them. Yep. Their, their ideology is based entirely on which way the wind's blowing. So because of that, it's kind of cool. Well, it, well it's, it's a business, right? Their prime objective is to win and get elected. Because mm -hmm. not only them, but all the people that worked with them campaigning for the last year, they lose their jobs too, yeah. right? But so, you get that Chris Christie fucker. Do you see that oh, guy? He's, a, he's still saying that marijuana is dangerous and addictive. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's just uh, ridiculously ob obese. They just did I've a heard study. You I think it's so accurate. He's so disgusting. They just did. A, um, they just did a report. Rather, they said he spent eighty-two thousand dollars in food at NFL games of taxpayers' money. Are you kidding me? No. I did not see that. that eighty-two thousand dollars in food at NFL games. 
Wow. And this fucking guy, <laughs> who is morbidly obese, just overflowing out of his shirts and his pants. Just clear food bleh. addiction and eating addiction, 100%, like clearly. 100%. And with, by the way, you know, I had this guy, Dr. Dan Engel, on, on the other day, who was talking about the, he works with people with addictions yeah. and trying to uh, treat these addictions. like, food addictions and sugar addictions in particular are one of the most difficult ones to treat because you've got to eat. Everybody eats. It's not like heroin. Like you can kick heroin, and no one's like, "Dude, you got to do a little heroin." Yeah, 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 yeah. You got to stay alive. Like you don't have to do a little heroin. Jamie and I were talking about this before you arrived. And food, sugar, processed sugar was artificially put into the majority of our foods, like back in the '70s and '80s, so that you have a taste for it. That's why we're so addicted to like, mm. like it's in things you don't even think about: spaghetti sauce, sandwich meats, mm -hmm. things like that. So you look, you're like, "There's sugar in this." Like, yeah, it's in everything. Syrup. I try yeah. to. I go through the rings where I'm like, "Okay, I'm gonna go two weeks without sugar." I've never succeeded. I fail all the time. <laughs> I went a whole month without beating off once. Shut up. I've documented it on my uh, blog, on my website. I would, I would fail that addiction test. Well, I did it because I had to do it. You know, I didn't have to do it, but I had to do it because I said I was going to do it. Yeah. You know, and I wrote about it, but it was just ridiculous. Did you like, find yourself becoming more aggressive? More? No, I'm just horny all the time. <laughs> like people give me a hug and I get a heart on. I'm like, what the fuck? It's when you 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 know say you're not going to. You don't realize like how much jerking off is like maintenance. And, like it keeps you clear. Like you don't have the this uh, overwhelming need, this pulsating overwhelming need. You know, and you, uh, if you, if you go 30 days without beating off, you'll kind of understand that. And most people don't do that unless they have like a really low sex drive. Never gone that long. <laughs> <laughs> but sugar, um, I've never tried. I, I, I very much limit my sugar. I limit I my sugar. Try that too. But I've tried a few weeks just to really cut it, like really look at everything and, and other than well, even then, it, I'd never succeeded. But I, like fruit and stuff, like at least natural sugar, I wasn't mm -hmm. as much. But just process. I'm like, I'm going to try to get right. nothing processed. But then I have kids and stuff, and the cupboard's full of shit. And then I'm like, right. oh, fuck it. I'll grab one of these. And yeah. Like, the other day, my wife brought home Krispy Kreme donuts. Oh, those I'm are like, crack. Oh, those aren't even. <laughs> what have you done? There's no what way if those kids. If those came in the house, I crushed the whole uh, thing. They're brutal. They're brutally good. Um, you got to get the cream filled ones because the the regular ones they're only good like right when they come out of the oven, but the regular yeah. ones the the cream filled ones are good for days. I haven't had those ones. Glazed cream filled. So we don't have Krispy Kreme's not in Canada too much. We well, have Tim Hortons. Tim Hortons can't carry Krispy Kreme's jockstrap. Okay, that's a fact. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. I've eaten Tim Hortons <laughs> Tim Hortons donuts. They're dog shit. They're all right. They're, they're okay. They're good, man. Which no, ones? Yeah, no, they're, no, 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 <laughs> they're no, way no, better no. than Dunkin' Donuts. No, they're Dunkin not. Do that's not true at all. Dunkin' that's Donuts is fucking all. disgusting. No, that's not true at all. That Boston cream donuts. Those those fucking. You ever have one of those? Uh, Dunkin' Tim Donuts are delicious. Cream, no, they're not the same. <laughs> Canadians. Canadians are so into being Canadian. Yeah, we are. Love we, it. <laughs> I just love being Canadian. We are Look, proud. I, I, it's a great country. Don't get me wrong. My favorite country other than America, without a doubt, is Canada. And they, they're the nicest people. And it's one of the reasons why it's so difficult to get up there. That's why people always say, when are you going to bring Joey Diaz up? To Joey Diaz has arm kidnapping yeah. <laughs> on, his, on his resume. It's very fucking tough to get into Canada with arm kid. You can't even get into Canada if you had a bar fight. You know, well, now both countries, same in the U.S., if you have a DUI, you can't mm -hmm. come to the United States from Canada, and you can't come from the U.S. to Canada. You, yeah. If you have a DUI, you are restricted from travel. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. You know, if we could keep more people from driving drunk, it would be a, a way better place. But 
Canada is particularly stringent on the amount of people and the type of people that it lets in. And it's one of the reasons why I've always said it's such a nice country. It's like you guys, like you value good behavior up there. You value nice people. <laughs> well, an another thing that's a big advantage for us, like when people make comparisons, because the culture is very similar in some ways and very different in a lot of ways. I find the United States is very polarized in there. Like it's much more like, are you Republican or Democrat? Are you left or right? Are you religious right. or not? Not to say that doesn't exist in Canada, but I don't find it as intense as it is in the United States, but we have such a small population, right? right? Like there's more people in the state of California than our entire country. Yeah, it's, so, which is really weird. Right? So we don't have to deal, like when you get more and more people, you know, things get more and more complicated. There's different social structures and history and religious and beliefs. And you guys are dealing with shitty donuts. <laughs> so there's that too. I mean, you're always having the Tim Horton Our donuts. Timmy's are awesome, man. Those it's are, not they're, awesome. They're, it's There's awesome. barely edible. <laughs> there's much, much we better. highly disagree on that one. They're good, man. They're, I'll give Krispy Kremes are awesome, but Timmy's are a close second. <laughs> not even. Uh, no. They, they, for up there, you have no choices. <laughs> what else you got? I tried Dunkin' Donuts when I lived in New York, and oh, I thought that was you. disgusting. Please stop. <laughs> no idea what you're talking about. You're making me making me sick. <laughs> Isn't it weird? Like we would give a fuck. Yeah. Like, like, you, you, if you, you enjoy I... something, I don't. It's like that's fighting words. You're, you're dissing my Timmy's. Uh, what you use a Windows, yeah. dude? You should get a Mac. Oh, yeah. I don't even get in. I, I just have an old beat up laptop that still survived, and it's a Mac. I've had it for like eight years. Still works fine. People Dead almost get mad at you. Well, at least now with the new film we're in production for, you like because you back up all your footage. So we bought one through the production, so I get that one when it's done. I'll take. What operating system are you using? Feral House Cat. <laughs> really old ones. Lion, hey, leopard. It still has snow one, leopard. It still has one of those DVD drives and so where you can Ooh, actually put it. I have one of those in my, my other laptop. This one doesn't have it. It has like I have a USB one which I've never used. I bought it like when I, I'm like I'm definitely going to need this. Mm. I've never used it once. I, the DVDs are done. They're man. done. It's just like those goddamn floppy disks. When they when they got rid of the floppy disks, everybody's like, Steve Jobs, the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. Are you crazy? No floppy disk? Yes. And then he was right. He was in, right. Interesting, in the movie industry, though, is they haven't been able to recover what DVDs used to make. Like, down, digital downloads, not there. It hasn't been... It's called piracy, son. Look yeah. it up. <laughs> if yeah. anyone knows that, I know, like, the union had been seen millions of times, and we still hadn't got into the green with that one. Wow. Yeah. Millions of times. Where That's if it, crazy. If it was just 10 sec... If we just got 10 cents a download, we would be doing really good. You'd be rich as fuck. Rich as fuck. <laughs> it's like five, five million... If you look at all the different places where it's been illegally downloaded, we've, we stop calculate where you just add up on YouTube, and it's like five, six million... That's a real issue when it comes to making a documentary, isn't it? Getting the funding. Really tough. Because docs are, in Canada at least, we're fortunate because we have like the tax credit system and there's a lot of grant programs so that Canadian artists can still survive. The but, problem with that is you have Canadian content laws. Yes. So you got some dog shit that sneaks through. Yo, sneaks through. I wouldn't say sneaks through. I'd say majority yeah. of it is. But docs, the good thing is, is all it has to be to qualify as CanCon is as right. long as the crew is Canadian producing it, right? Oh, okay. So like the Culture High is a Canadian content film, but mm -hmm. that's doesn't feel very Canadian, right? It's much more about U.S. politics, and yeah. it's all featuring U.S. and international interviews, right? Docs is the one that really works well for it. You guys have that Mark Emery guy up there, too, yep. which is a, that's a, a strange case. This guy, because it's very, it's polarizing on both sides in both ways. 
Like that guy was selling seeds, which were totally legal in your country. And the local law enforcement was not willing to prosecute him. Yeah. So the DEA came in to extradite him. And we talked about that in, in the union where it was just like, look, it's the same as if we bought a machine gun from the United States, not legal in Canada. Right. But we don't extradite the guy that bought it to the United States or like, you know, we, it, we don't go right. to the United States and say, hey, your guy sold a gun to Canada. He has to come up and serve time in Canada. Right. We arrest the guy that bought it. So with the seeds, the same thing with Mark. Right. And he was giving he was paying taxes to the government. They had no issue on the seeds that he got arrested for. Yeah. And then he was giving to, you know, drug rehabilitation clinics and a whole bunch of things. And it's almost like in that case, the government's kind of in on it because they're taking money. Like the, you, you guys took the tax money and then you still sent him to the United States. And to be they prosecuted? had to sign the official release to allow him. Right. Why, they, to, why would they do that? That's where it was funny because a lot of people, I mean, he, you know, Mark Henry's really aggressive and he wanted to be a martyr and he, he yeah, you know, that's the polarizing aspect. And of it, it. it gets tough because a lot of people, <clears throat> You know, didn't like the way he did things, but the, you know, some people that were not in the argument were too much. Were just against giving up a Canadian citizen to go serve time over there. They were like, they should be. That was the one that everyone was kind of on his side, being like, that shouldn't be done. You know, we should not send him over there for laws that you know he didn't order the seed. Somebody else ordered it to the United States. He shouldn't be sent down there to go serve his time. He yeah. just got out of prison like a year ago. Yeah, and he's. You know, he's back to his old ways and smoking pot and making videos and oh, yeah. all this stuff. I mean, they, they didn't put a dent in it. They actually did make him a martyr. You know, well, it was in the transcripts we showed in the union that they said this is a dent to the legalization movement and everything. It was much more of a political arrest for the DEA mm -hmm. than it was anything else. And actually, the prosecutor that helped send him to the, has actually come out recently and said we should change marijuana laws and not put people. He still thinks yeah. that. Sending Mark Emery away was the right thing to do as the prosecutor, but he thinks that the law should now be changed because they're draconian and they really are. I mean, it's there's no argument about it. There's no no one can make except Nancy Grace. <laughs> Did you see her <laughs> argument with two chains? Yes, I see all her stuff. I post them and tweet them. They always oh. get a good reaction with her. She's adorable. She's almost like a plant. She's almost like a plant by the marijuana industry to try to, like, the marijuana community to try to, like, make the ultimate dumb villain that, <laughs> that epitomizes the anti-legalization movement. Marijuana makes you fat and lazy. No, but then she'll say the exact opposite of that, right? It then makes you psychotic, <laughs> yeah, yeah. rapists. <laughs> Exactly. Well, I, I have to believe with her that she doesn't even believe all of her. I, I have to think it's like when you had Dr. Carl Hart on the show and he talked about going on um, Dr. Bill O'Reilly. Bill O'Reilly, yeah. Right. And he was saying how he was great right before we started rolling camera. Then when we rolled camera, he was totally different. Right. And he was trying to get at me and he was living the character. Yeah. I'd have to think that. Nancy Grace is the same. No, I think you're probably right. I think there's a lot of those folks that are in that public eye um, that are involved in the business of getting eyes on them, and they know that controversy is what what sells. That's yeah. that's how you got to do it. You know, well, they're Nancy Grace. The effects of Nancy Grace. <laughs> I want to hear this. Nancy yeah, Grace too, debates too. Nancy Grace yeah, on no, the effects. I... Look at her, Nancy Grace. The judge allows in evidence that. Trayvon Martin did have marijuana in his system at the time he died. <sighs> what difference, if any, does that make? Because I've seen too many felonies. She's debating herself. And I don't herself. mean pot sales or growing pot like this guy 
up in Connecticut. To me, it means that he is less likely to pick a fight with someone. I mean, people on pot shoot each other. Isn't it true that when you smoke pot, you just want to lay on the sofa and eat? People on pot kill families, wipe out a whole family. The common <laughs> uh, connotation pot goes with lethargy, with uh, the munchies, with wanting to eat, with being laid back not with chasing somebody down, jumping out from behind bushes, beating them in the head till, till they're pulpy, and, pulpy? And, and basically starting mortal combat. That's not what you typically equate with smoking a doobie. That's hilarious. Or I've got to be smoking, or I've got to be high on pot. <laughs> so can you clearly say Nancy won the debate there, debating herself? I feel like Nancy had all the good points. Yeah, well, she's a business person, you know. It's the, her business is Nancy Grace. The business of Bill O'Reilly is Bill O'Reilly's got to get in your face and call you a moron and shut you up. Because Bill O'Reilly is playing to that 70-year-old man with a hearing aid. That's his uh, his audience. That scared man that's uh, afraid that Mexicans are going to move into his neighborhood. And his hands are shaking when he gets, where's my remote? Yeah. Where's the remote? Where's the remote? And the wife is just a prisoner of this guy's fucking Yeah, and you tyranny. know, no one's allowed to touch the remote yeah. for this TV. That's the Bill O'Reilly fan. He yeah. just admires Bill O'Reilly. Well, that was, you know, that was part of, that Brett really wanted to tackle in, in directing the culture. I was that part of the media, right? And how it's become such a business. And Jank breaks that down really great in the film of like breaking down the history of media and how the airwaves were originally given to get news. We'll give you the airwaves, you give us news, but then anytime they tackle the subject, they kind of conflicted with the political views of Washington. They're like, okay, wait a minute, we don't want you talking about that news, right? right. We don't want you talking about that. And then they realized they could make money off it and started getting sponsors. And then it was like, okay, well, we can't touch subjects like this. And when you had Jank on your show, we touch on that whole MSNBC thing that he had, right? Where... Mm -hmm. He goes in and he started pushing buttons of both sides and saying, oh, they're both corrupt. And then yeah. it's systematically corrupt, right? Because you're funded by people to argue points uh, based on campaign money that you mm -hmm. got. It was a great point that Brett fought hard to have in the film that the audience seemed to really take to when it released. So. Well, it, it illuminates the issue. Yeah. The, the issue is it's not as clear as like some people think this is bad for you and some people think this is good for you. And, you know, here's the debatable evidence. It's not there's no debatable evidence. You look at the evidence, you go, OK, well, there's no one has ever died from it ever. No one has ever got cancer from it ever no one i mean all this idea like the i love when they start going like uh what's his name gabor mate how do you say his name gabor mate gabor mate yeah i've only seen it written i haven't heard yeah. it said. oh trust me we were the same thing i would tell yeah. we met him yeah um what one of the things that he talked about was the instances of psychosis and which is fascinating because you know they're both it's caused psych psychotic episodes in some people no it actually doesn't the the uniform number of psychotic episodes in people is pretty much it, it's in line with the population and if you have a hundred people one of those people is going to have issues and and when if you have a hundred people that smoke pot and one of those people has issues you can't correlate that with pot you just can't because we break down the, the numbers are the same we break down the schizophrenia clip we have like a two-minute clip i don't know but like did you give it to jamie uh it's on youtube if you just go the culture i schizophrenia and it's got all of them let's breaking play, let's it, play down. it because yeah. this, you guys did a great job with that documentary and i want more people to see it it's just more the Thanks, more man. these things get out there 
the more people see this, the more people see the union, and there's there's so many of them now. There's so many of these documentaries now. It's just well, and let's great, play this. Let's yeah, play yeah. this. Which is... Schizophrenia. Schizophrenia. Just one spliff, and you will go mental. <laughs> the more you mess with cannabis, the more it can mess with your mind. They're even worse uh, in the UK. Know, the first seven years as a researcher were devoted to uh, schizophrenia. I can tell you, that is ridiculous. We looked at the evidence. I think we must have gone through about 2,000 papers. And it doesn't cause schizophrenia. Maybe there are some individuals with schizophrenia in which the illness is brought on perhaps a little earlier because they smoke cannabis. There often is what's called an, a precipitating event. A precipitating event is something like uh, an important loss of a person, a severe car accident. It certainly can be exacerbated by a number of drugs. You know, a bad alcohol trip, and that could serve as a precipitating event too. The fact is schizophrenia has a prevalence of about 1% the world around. Cannabis use, Let's start with the 60s. It's gone up like that. So, you've introduced this new thing. If it's schizophrenogenic, we should see a significant uptick in schizophrenia. We should see more people with schizophrenia. Schizophrenia has stayed just like that. In uh, all of the epidemiologic studies that I'm aware of, there is no uptick. So if marijuana causes schizophrenia, it was introduced, now we should have more schizophrenia. We don't see that. We would certainly see some little rise in that, given the numbers of people who have used this. You really do need to strip this back and address this from a neutral platform to understand that anything to do with mental health is such a tenuous issue built up on different contributing factors. And by applying it all to cannabis, you are possibly doing more harm because you are negating all these other factors that certainly play a part. And that's that guy summed it up perfectly. Perfectly. Negating all those other factors. It's, life is a you know it's a series of factors. And that is doing much more harm because you're not looking at all the other things. You're mm -hmm. trying to find the just. It's because of this. It's because yeah. of that. Right. Instead of you know, looking at the broader picture, like, oh, maybe there was mental abuse, maybe there was neglect as a child. And then Gabber really does a great thing where he talks about addiction and how early childhood development and how the brain grows so rapidly that it develops, you know, certain things that those end up becoming the crutch for you later on because you had neglect when you were younger or mm. when you had this, right? It stems so much from early childhood. In fact, he did a study because... He was a Holocaust survivor, right? His family, they escaped. And when he was perfectly healthy baby, then all of a sudden he became really colicky. So his mother called their physician and was like, oh my God, I don't know, he's not sleep. He's screaming all night. And the doctor said, well, Mrs. Matei, if you don't mind me asking, you're Jewish, correct? And she said, yeah, what does that have to do with anything? He said, we have an epidemic of Jewish babies uh, that are colicky now ever since the war has been announced. Well, and explain what colicky is for people who don't have kids. Colicky is like kids that just nonstop cry. They're always like... Why is it called colicky? I don't know. I, I We'd have to look that up. Jay, I'm not done, but they like I've never experienced it with my children, fortunately. But I've had parents that literally said they see how they could go to postpartum depression. Like they just the kids do not sleep. They're always uncomfortable, screaming like crazy all night, like eight, twelve hours a day, to where you think they're going to scream themselves to where their heart might stop. Right? It's panicky. You get 
So the physician had announced that, and Gabber looked at the study and be like, well, what would infants or children know about the war and Hitler? Why would that make them colicky? Well, what are children, what's the only thing they're growing on and absorbing at that young age? Their parents who are now stressed, they're in fear, they're scared of what's going to happen in the war, they're scared about going to prison camps, and that fear and tension and arguments and everything else is already affecting the young child to the point where they start to become, like, they can feel that, right? Wow. Like, and he goes on, that, the, I don't want to just keep running clips, but there's another great clip if you want to go look. The business insider picked it up, the addiction side that Gabber breaks down so con, like, he does it, like, to put in one sentence, he says it this way, he says, you know, although the addiction itself is a problem and we should be concerned about it, it's not the problem. It's the addict's attempt to solve a problem in the first place. Yeah, that is a really good bit, uh, that really good clip, rather. And the, the, the talk about genes and then how it affects the way genes express themselves. Like, that's that's really crazy. Like, I didn't even know that. We didn't know that. E like, I remember... Trauma actually can make you addicted to things. And and the, the childhood, it, there's a study that he references that showed that children that had had, you know, loss in the family, divorce, abuse, like, were 600 times greater to yeah, let's, become... let's play it. Let's yeah, play okay. it. Is, go to business... You if you go business insider, the culture high, it has the, the addiction clip. Yeah, I just think that all of this information like this like what we just played about schizophrenia yeah. this about addiction and genetics and uh, the, the 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 evidence now is just so overwhelming that when you have a Nancy Grace or you have you know like the old Ronald Reagan clip it becomes almost comedy it's like it's so preposterous well, and, but the thing is like and you had it Dr. Carl Hart talked about it when he was on your podcast though is they don't want to come on like it sucks going on their show because that's their realm where they can get you on points and they mm -hmm. can get, because sometimes you can get a certain doctor like Gabber Maté, if you can let him talk and really explain it, he'll sewer you. But if you yeah. were to debate and get points that win and overshout, he might not come off. Well, those shows are a joke, man. Any of those shows where they have like Anderson Cooper is standing there and he's talking to five different people that are in five different locations and they're all yelling in and they all have <laughs> earpieces <laughs> in. This is the, arguably the worst way to communicate worst ever. Way. Like, get any one of those fucks on a podcast and sit down with them for three hours, and then you'd find out what they're really like. Like, Nancy Grace. You imagine Nancy Grace on a podcast talking about marijuana for three hours? Do, oh, you, do you know, if she couldn't leave, if she couldn't leave, she couldn't go, this conversation is nonsense, <laughs> Mr. Rogan. You're wasting my time. Can we set up a pay-per-view event to that and make that happen? She would just happen? run away. No, she would not, they would not come. There's no way she would, because if she did, I mean, you wouldn't have to yell at her. You wouldn't have to get angry. You would just break it down over and over again. Do you know how ridiculous this is? Like, show her the facts. Show her her own debate <laughs> against herself. <laughs> you know, all these people that are doing this. Show, fat fuck Christy. Get that dummy. You know, I'm, I'm a fat shamer. I'll tell you right now. Yeah. I'll fat shame the fuck out of that fat fuck. <laughs> I, I don't believe in fat shaming. I think it's nonsense. It's goddamn nonsense. I'm not into it. Um, and that guy is a dangerous person. Those, those words that come out of his mouth in a position of power will affect people. There's young children that hear what he says. They, they listen to the news and they will start to believe that stupid shit. Well, and people that are way more scared to admit maybe they made a mistake and correct it and mm -hmm. will continue a lie and push that ideology yeah. on oh, people yeah. for that that is i mean you had stephen pressfield on here but the the war of art mm -hmm. right talked about that like how resistance can push you like rather than 
overcoming that resistance, admitting that there was a mistake, like, hey, I yes. was wrong, yeah. right? I made a mistake, which is nice to see Dr. Sanjay Gupta come out and at least, like, you know, say, like, I was fundamentally wrong about the research I presented. Yeah, he's uh, he's got a lot of courage for doing that. But, uh, yeah, the denial of the truth is bad, not just for the people that you're delivering the truth to, but also to yourself. Because you know in your heart of hearts that you're a bullshitter. If you are somehow or another pushing some nonsense, false narrative just because it reinforces what you've already said, and you, you find that over and over again with humans. They just don't want to ever admit that they were incorrect or they got bamboozled. It's scary. I mean, that's what keeps me. Did you see um, the um, Going Clear documentary? Yes, yes, I did. Just watched it the other F day. Goddamn fascinating. But it sort of touches on that a bit because you see these people that w didn't want to admit that this religion was quote crazy unquote, that they'd gotten into was a bullshit that something had, someone created a, a really retarded science fiction author created a gigantic <laughs> religion it's hilarious you it have is. to actually give him props that he was able to just say religions are the most profitable thing because you don't have to pay tax and yeah. i'm the science fiction writer and once you get whatever what's the level like ov3 then you actually get Satan. the notes from him of mm -hmm. what the religion is and i love where they have paul haggis on at that point and he's like <laughs> What the fuck is this? He's like, what I, the fuck is this? <laughs> he's like, I was into the all helping people and trying to make the world a better place mm -hmm. and do all that. He's like, but once I read this, he was like, I'm not into this whole thing, the Zion ruler or mm -hmm. whatever. Zenu. Zenu. Yeah. That's what it well, is. you also kind of realize that the the L. Ron Hubbard himself was very much like, very likely like having mental health issues yeah and he was trying to self-diagnose yeah and that's why I, uh, one, of, one of the things I, I actually like about Scientology and uh, you know, I don't want to bash science. I don't know enough about it to bash it other than the really scary retarded shit yeah <laughs> but there's a I've, I've known some people that have been in it and they've been like really goal-oriented people and they really like have been focused and they like try to get their shit together and one of the guys that left he said that he left Scientology as a religion, but he still believed in it as a as a as a practice, yeah. as a practice for like mental like awareness or for managing the mind, you know. Because I think the, a lot of their principles, a lot of the ideas, came from psychology, and they yeah. they came from. I mean, he had some some like almost like self remedy sort of ideas of how to like manage his craziness and manage his mind and. I don't, I don't think it's all bad. No, but, it, but it, isn't that isn't that uh, ultimately would like for, to, for to me? I thought like all ideology, like some of the ideas of like treating others as you'd want to be treated yourself, like mm -hmm. isn't that what they all stem from? But then like Scientology in the film at least and other ones then you get people in positions of power in those places yeah. right and then it starts being no 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 it's the way I depict these yeah. readings right and if you disobey then you burn in hell or whatever yeah. you're you're that's always like I, I read a lot of them like I, I grew up around um, uh, uh, East Indians and Sikh and a lot of their stuff I liked where like the original Sikh temples had all four entrances saying all people are welcome right and mm -hmm. that all rivers essentially flow to the ocean meaning there's no right. one right way to find enlightenment or be a better person person yeah and but then you know I'm a big fan of the Sikh religion yeah I, I, I've met a lot of those guys they're very cool I wish they would cut their hair so much of what they're doing is like I like the way they behave I yeah. like the, the they're not they don't proselytize they're not rude about it you know and when they dress up for their weddings their shit looks way better than a tux yeah I think they have some crazy marijuana drink too that someone told I think it's called 
I think it's called Bang, B-H-A-N-G or something like that. But it's like marijuana mixed with yogurt. There's like a certain really? sex of, yeah. See if you can find that, Jamie. There's certain sex of uh, of the Sikhs who uh, they, they drink this marijuana yogurt combinations like hash and yogurt. I just think it's sweet oil. that when they go to the wedding, they have the fucking sword and mm-hmm. a gapon and their thing. Like, <laughs> they I was like, like, man, we get we get a tux and a tie. They dress <laughs> up like emperors with weapons. I was like, like, way Alibaba. cool. Yeah, I was yeah. like, I'd much rather dress like that. Yeah, no, they, I mean, I'm like, here it is, B-H-A-N-G, a beverage wow. prepared from the leaves and flowers of the female cannabis plant, has a long history of use in the Indian subcontinent with the buds of the plant maturing in the spring, the preparation of B-H-A-N-G, I think it's called bang, bang. has uh, traditionally been associated with the harvest festivals of Ola Mohala or Holly in March and Vaisaki in April. Uh, although drugs and alcohol are prohibited in Sikhism, not N-I-H-A-N-G-S, Nihangs, I don't know, are traditionally very fond of bong, which they call Sukni Don, meaning Sukhni giver of Sukhni. peace. That's right. <laughs> or Sukha Prasad, or i.e. Peace, peace giver. Yeah, I agree with all those things. Yep. Yeah, Sikh's got it right. Yeah. Take the bong, be happy. <laughs> be the bong. Be happy, be happy. Let's play that uh, thing about genes, man. The, this is, the business inside yeah, of it, yeah. Because this is uh, pretty, pretty powerful stuff. Addiction. The most frequently cited perceived harm associated Ooh, with marijuana what a sexy voice. is addiction. <laughs> not bad, not you bad. You do know it's addictive. Highly addictive, right? Because I believe it is addictive and it leads to more serious drugs. But in order to understand addiction in relation to marijuana, one must first have an understanding of the psychology behind addiction in the first place. It's interesting to see or to ask who becomes addicted. People can have sex without being addicted to it, they can go shopping, but some people become severely addicted to all these pursuits. Is a pack of cards addictive? Well, no, or yes, depending on the individual. So it's the same process no matter what the addiction is. The only difference is really is that the substance addict is getting the dopamine from an outside substance, Whereas the behavior addict is having it triggered from the particular behavior. If I speak to a group of 100 people or 1,000 people and I ask, well, how many of you have addiction issues to any substance? A number of people put their hand up and I say, what did it do for you? Not what was bad about it, you already know that, but what did it do for you? What was positive in your experience of it? Well, it gave me a sense of peace. It gave me uh, pain relief. It made me feel more connected. It made me more confident. I could speak now and interact with other people. In other words, the addict is just after wanting to be a normal human being. And the real question is, what keeps them from having those qualities in their lives and what happened to them? And so that the addiction should be seen not as the problem, although it is a problem, but it's not the problem, it's the addict's attempt to solve a problem in the first place. The Adverse Childhood Experiences Studies done in California looked at conditions such as physical, sexual, and emotional abuse in a child's life, the loss of a parent through death, or a rancorous divorce, or a parent being jailed, or a mental illness in the parent, or addiction in the parent, or violence in the family. And for each of these adverse childhood experiences, the risk of addiction goes up exponentially. By the time a male child has had six of these adverse experiences, his risk of having become a substance-dependent, injection-using addict is 4,600% greater than that of a male 4, child with experiences. Why is that? It's because that trauma shapes the brain in such ways as to make the addictive substances more appealing to the individual. 
that trauma also gives that person the pain that they will try to then escape from or, or to soothe through the addictive behaviors. It's the social and emotional environment that shapes the actual biology of the brain. So if you understand somebody's addiction, you have to look at what created pain in their lives. For the person who occasionally has a beer, occasionally uh, uh, smokes marijuana, but genuinely have no negative consequences, it does not impair their health, does not endanger their lives, it does not impair their personal relationships. You can't call those people addicts and you can't call those behaviors addictive. Addicts! So make a real distinction between the use of substances and the addiction to substances. Which then brings us to the war on drugs. Basically the war on drugs is being waged against people that were abused and traumatized in children and have mental health problems. There's enough punishment in there, in the negative consequences of the addiction, that we don't have to add punishment onto that. How great, like, the uh, number of deaths around the world from cigarette consumption is five and a half million, according to latest estimates. Annually, cigarettes kill as many people as were killed in the Germans' anti-Jewish genocidal campaign. So we have a Holocaust annually, owing to cigarettes. If you smoke more than two packs a day, the risk for developing lung cancer was 20-fold. That's 2,000% based on the largest case control study ever done. There was no evidence that marijuana increased the risk of lung cancer. Ooh! Boom. You've got to have some consistency. Oh, who's this, oh, who's this guy? a million different drugs that are sanctioned by the society that don't have that happy ending, that you take too much and you're fucked. I've got a friend whose auntie had to go to rehab for buying two boxes of Krispy Kremes every day and eating See? them in the woods. Don't so say Tim Hortons. <laughs> Notice how he didn't say Tim Hortons? Let's He's from the UK. Krispy Kremes are legal. I will fight any man, by the way, who suggests that. I'm with you, buddy. Like <laughs> I got you back. Salt and dying. Yeah. yeah, you didn't use salt right, dude. You fucked up with salt. If you just threw some salt on popcorn, it's actually quite yummy. You know, but what'd you do, you stupid fuck? You ate a pound of salt and you died. Doesn't mean we should outlaw salt. Our society doesn't object to people jumping out of air. I heard we heard of Graham Hancock through your podcast. That's how we ended up getting interviewed. Him. He's awesome. Our society so doesn't good. object to I people climbing guy. mountains. Occasionally, people and fall off mountains and do harm to themselves. We're cool. Well, this is all. We're just rehashing all this stuff. Yeah. Graham Hancock is actually involved in some a fascinating debate right now with uh, this guy Zawi Hawass, who's the head of I think the head of Egyptian antiquities. He's sort of the guy, the disseminator, the dis disseminator of information in Egypt. When when it comes to like how people have access to the pyramids and all yeah, the different yeah. structures and he's been um, going at it with this guy because the guy is unable or unwilling to reconsider a lot of his statements about the age of a lot of the uh, ancient Egypt monoliths and all these different structures. You know, they've, they've got Gobekli some... Tepe is putting exactly. a big fucking hook into that, right? Well, he pretended he didn't know what Gobekli Tepe was. And it's really funny, the, the, the debate, but it's a similar thing. Like a guy who's been saying something for so long that there, ha there were no cultures more than 5,000 years ago that were capable of sophisticated construction methods. And he's just said this for so long that now the evidence has come out. Gobekli Tepe is 12,000 years old. There's no doubt about it. It is 100%. Well, and isn't there two? Graham was saying there's two other ones that the initial tests are coming out. There's like a one in, in Australia and another mm -hmm. one in Indonesia that was found. And yeah. he said it's more and more like his original theory that he was poo-pooed on mm -hmm. is now seeming to be more and more correct. Oh, yeah. Between him and Randall Carlson, I mean, they've really uncovered a lot of issues that there was trying to date 
the history of civilization and the, also the history of cataclysmic disasters. It's very problematic because there's very little evidence and it's really difficult. But over the past decade, more and more evidence from geologists, like all this nuclear glass that they're finding, they do core samples, they dig down 12,000 uh, for 12,000 years, they get yeah. like 12,000 years. And at 12,000, when they get to 12,000 years, universally, like across Europe and Asia, they find this it's called I think it's called tritonite it's nuclear glass and this nuclear glass it exists in um, nuclear explosion test sites and also in meteor impacts and so this stuff being spread out all over the place they think that there was a pounding that this earth took a fucking pounding Whoa. by meteors somewhere around 12,000 years ago and it could possibly have been the reason why the ice age ended and also could be the reason why a massive amount of animals went extinct almost instantaneously. Woolly mammoths, saber-toothed tigers, like 60% of all land mammals. And it could be the reason why there's these ancient structures that date before Gobekli Tepe or before, you know, 12,000 years ago, someone covered Gobekli Tepe. That's how they know. The reason they, they have a uniform age of the dirt that is covering Gobekli Tepe. So for... They explained it. This is all not fringe stuff either, by the way. This yeah. is all like legit archaeologists. They're absolutely certain that someone covered that 12,000 years ago. Well, how old was it when they covered it? Yeah, no, one, no one knows. So yeah, because they can only test... Like, uh, can't like, test stone. Yeah, it's biocarbon, like like yes. living things, right? That you right. can carbon date, right? Like that's how they tested the age of the pyramids. They tested the material that's between the stones, and you know the the biological material, whether it's wood or things along those lines. You could test that stuff and get pretty accurate readings. See, this is what's so awesome about your podcast. When we try to put a little bit of technology in the culture, how it's radically changing things. Like, I mean, anyone I put onto your podcast gets hooked. And in fact, I've, I've joked because I've been in things where you bring on such interesting people that got me to research things that I would have never looked into before. Like Gobekli Tepe, the way that mm -hmm. I even knew how to pronounce it was because we'd heard Graham Hancock on here. We, When he did his war on consciousness bit, mm -hmm. Brett and I were like, we need to get that guy for the fucking film. Like yeah. he has to be interviewed. Um, and then, you know, when I met with Graham Hancock, but the information and getting people to look at new ideas and great perspectives and the platform of having people come on here for a good two, three hours to really communicate things like that trickle effect. I've witnessed it. I've seen people that have like been inspired by your show that have lost it. They're like, man, you're the guy that did the union, the culture high, like Joe show. I, I, I use on it. I've lost 60 pounds. Like, I love your stuff. I've changed my perspective. Like. I've witnessed how it's already having a trickle effect of putting out, just getting new information on there, getting people to think outside the box. Like when we talked earlier about the ego kind of preventing you from sometimes progressing. Yeah. Well, you have a lot of great people. You stress it on here all the time, but other people, you have great interviews that do it too. Like I found for me, even at times, there's times when I'm like, hey, you know what? I should like self-reflect. I should get back into like boxing and martial arts. And you know, maybe my ego is getting swelling. Like it's, it's good to get into that. And I left going back to... I, I boxed competitively when I was younger, and I love going back in there now and getting beat up by these young guys because it's really humbling, right? Super bad for your brain, though, dude. Yeah, I don't... Super bad for your well, brain. Well, you know, I... I <laughs> don't do what, it. What, punches anymore. to the head aren't good? Yeah, try yoga. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing a lot of yoga lately. Do that. 
Well, I also good for the ego too. Uh, uh, my daughter wants to now get into jujitsu, so we're gonna. Jujitsu's great. Yeah, I love jujitsu. Well, what I love about jujitsu is it doesn't have the the striking. It had it. I mean, I grew up a striker. Yeah, I mean, my whole. I mean, the reason why I became who I am, I, I think, is because of the trials and tribulations of martial arts and going through competition and, and all the the fear and the overcoming that fear and all that stuff. I mean, be, and also like the self reflection, the fact that it, it makes you very objective about your abilities, your you you have to assess yourself in a very very clear way. Otherwise, you're going to leave vulnerabilities and you're going to get hurt. I, I couldn't picture who I'd be without my boxing coach and putting like it was very good for me in my teenage years to, um, you know, build confidence, humility. Because yeah. mm-hmm. the first time you get in any sparring session, you get lit up. You get lit up. <laughs> but that's health. Like other than the yes. actual physical break, it's good to realize that. You're not the man at everything, right? Mm-hmm. And well, you can't be. It takes a long time to be the man. I yeah. mean, how do you think Floyd Mayweather got to be 48, no, and untouchable? Fucking countless hours in the gym. I mean, you could call that guy a wife beater and a piece of shit and a dummy, and he can't read, and you're probably right about all those things. <laughs> but what you, you can't deny is the hard work that he put into that craft paid off. And anyone that thinks they're just going to figure that out right away, oh, yeah. you're just not. From the little bit of boxing I did, there's you're not figuring it out right away. It's, there's some physical gifts that some people bring to the table, unquestionably. But it's one of those things that you just have to work really hard at. And my belief is that when you work really hard at something and you get better at something, that thing becomes a vehicle for developing your human potential. And then you can transfer that same sort of energy and focus and the lessons that you learn from that into all different walks of life. The more extreme the situation is, the more difficult the task is, the more you learn about yourself in pursuing that task and the more beneficial it is to you outside of that task. I I couldn't agree more because... You know, a lot of complications when I first did the union and getting into the industry and getting like, you know, I wanted to be able to storytell and make films and documentaries as my living. But it was the union. I mean, that was your first one. First one. Well, you really knocked it out of the fucking park. Thank you. We did it for your first project to be that good. Thank you. It was. But to, to, to make the finances and deal with the, as you know, you're very familiar with the film industry and, and Not the, the, really. well, the entertainment Luckily. industry, I'll say, um, you know, took a while, but you know, I, I even put it on my business cards. I put creative hustler because I think some of the things of overcoming adversity and objections and the work you have to put in that I learned from boxing I and mean, applied really well to being like constantly rejected, mm-hmm. being told your idea is stupid. Like so many people have said the union would never work. They're like you're dumb. That's pop movie. Who wants to see this? And then when it, Blue, I actually have, I, you know, our distributor took it as a favor to somebody else saying it will never have any commercial success. What year did you do that? 2007. That's crazy. That was almost 10 years ago. That's yeah. so weird. Eight years ago today. Yeah. Weird. And it's it's kind of amazing that that was your first film. It, it's, I look back now and I don't think I, you know, we couldn't have done any better. It was, you know, like you said, a grand slam for our first film. And then since then, I've been very fortunate to work on lots of other great docs. Like we worked on I Am Bruce Lee then. Mm-hmm. And then great I did stuff, The Good yeah. Son with Ray, Ray Boom Boom Mancini. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've watched The Good Son. But no, I mean, but I've heard amazing things about oh, it. Oh, man. That, you want to talk about a guy that overcome adversity. Like mm-hmm. you're a boxing fan, so you know Ray's story sure. a little bit, right? Sure. But, as a kid, his dad was a number one contender, right? But then was drafted to the war and wasn't able to fight. Took shrapnel, came back into the ring, was never the same fighter, got beat up, damaged his eye. So at 10 years old, 10, Ray makes a promise to his dad, Dad, I will win the world title that you so deserve to fight for. And his dad's like, Raymond, don't go through it so hard. 
21, Ray wins the world title and gives it to his dad and says it's finally where it should be after 42 years. And then Ray's whole reason for getting into boxing was for righteous reasons to win a world title for his father. And then in his third title defense, he takes the life of a father in Dooku Kim when he kills Kim in the 14th round. And Kim had only found out two or three months before he was leaving to fight Ray that his wife was pregnant. He never even got to meet his son. So in The Good Son, Ray meets the son of the man that he killed 30 oh, years later. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Oh, my God. Being a part of that. And Ray is, and then three months. How does, how does he handle it? Ray, Ray had come to peace with it a long time ago, right? But he really wanted to do this for Jiwon, right? Because Jiwon wanted to meet him and oh, wanted God. to put it at rest and let him know that, you know, it was just two warriors that went to war. Like, but for the ending of that fight, you know, the fight itself is a great fight. Like, oh, yeah. Dooku actually wrote in his notes, we found all this stuff because we went to Korea and interviewed his trainer. Oh, no, I know the whole story. Yeah, and... He actually wrote, like, I will die in the ring tonight before I... Like, that was his... He came from nothing in Korea, like, Banam, like, right next to the North Korean border, slept in a pen with a whore, like, poor, poor. He fought to eat. So mm -hmm. fighting Ray was his chance at success. He was not going to lose that fight. And the first four mm -hmm. rounds, I mean, he takes it to Ray, right? They go hard. It they was go, a crazy fight. So, you know, now going on this journey with these docs, like, I... Now I'm hooked. I don't want to do anything other than docs because you meet Ray. Ray is such an amazing individual. Like, I mean, his brother was murdered three months before he won his world title. That still did not detour him, right? He stuck right in there, won his first world title. Wow. When, you, when you watch the doc, like, if you were to script what happened to him with, like, him promising since he was 10 years old to win a world title, his brother getting murdered three months before he wins, then tragically taking the light, like, you'd be like, this is a ridiculous script. This is too fantastic. Like, Mm. Too bullshit, but it really happened to him. Sometimes people's lives do play out like a ridiculous movie. And, and nothing but amazing, great things to say about Ray. You're an amazing individual. Are you a fan of documentaries? Are you like a Werner Herzog fan or anything? You? Yeah, I I don't like any particular one person. Just I do love Doc. So like I, for me, when I was hooked, and I think I might have said this last time I was on the podcast, but when. You're in that audience and your documentary has an emotional connection with the audience and you mm -hmm. see them like when Ray's film like people are crying like guys I know they're full uh, Motorcycle guys that I was friends with like they're crying in there in front of their they're like, dude You made me cry in front of all the boys and you know when Jason David and his son Jaden are on there with the things and people are crying Like and you see it has that impact and then you see it being you know universities and stuff people reaching out to me saying I used your film as a catalyst for my graduating argument and mm. It's tough to just want to go make an action film where everybody's shooting each other later, right? Where yeah. it's, it's, it's tough when you see something that is not only a great story, but has emotional impact, right? Well, when done correctly, the medium of documentaries can have an amazing impact. You, you can remember it's one of the things. Best. I think it is the best. As, as long as, like, it's done correctly, like, the information is, like, it's not Michael Moore. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, Michael, Unfortunately, he, he can do so good, but then he yeah. pushes it too far for me. I'm like... Leave the facts. Yeah. Don't make someone look stupid. It doesn't really help anything. Well, it's anything. Not, not necessarily bad to make certain people look stupid if they are stupid. What you can't do is edit little snippets to fill your narrative. And, you know, that's what he's guilty of. Yeah. You know, like he's done, he's, he's done more harm than good. And he got lumped into that group of guys that people will automatically like knee jerk called deceptive i think he did some great work i think yeah. bowling for columbine was well, fascinating and Ro roger and me i think is that's great. his best one yeah and that was his first one and yeah. i think that was the purest one 
And uh, and I mean, he really built the industry. He set the bar. He yeah. was like the Michael Jordan for it. Like he he made feature docs mainstream. Yeah, and like the Bowling for Columbine. Did he even get into mental health issues and prescription drugs? And I don't it was think a, so. Mostly about guns. Mostly about guns. It's yeah. not a gun issue. That's a mental health issue. We, the, no, no, I wrote this on Twitter, but I'll stand by it. This country has. A mental health issue disguised as a gun problem and that's that's really what it is well look at when we just had what Gabber explains right like yeah. it's early childhood and then yeah if someone gets a dangerous weapon in their hands when mm -hmm. they have mental problems bad things can happen and it's so hard to fix people of that it's so hard once once your mind has gone down this awful path of addiction and childhood trauma and all these horrible life experiences and you have compensated or undercompensated or overcompensated and you're affected by that and like the idea of becoming a balanced human being it seems like unattainable it seems it's it's incredibly difficult well, for these people. here's the crazy part you don't know I had one of my best friends going through went manic bipolar right like he had a big event that caused it and he was wrongly prescribed some antidepressants and one summer he just started acting really sporadically out of character right but this was before, this was in 2003, the same year that my, my father passed away. So it wasn't, like, you. none of us put our finger on it right away, like, oh, you have a men, like, people right. are just like, you're being an asshole. Like, why have right. you changed? Why, why are you so spread? Like, because it wasn't common knowledge. Like, you don't, and people that have it happening at the time, they don't wake up in the morning and be like, hmm, I think I'm imbalanced and I have a mental health issue, right? Yeah. You have to go see, and then someone's like, hey, I can, like, once he sat down with someone, it was two seconds, they're like, you were bipolar, right? Like, then they started doing the blood tests and they started testing to see what would work. And now he's super successful. He's balanced it. He's taking his lithium. And so certain drugs can literally stop that. They can nip that in the bud if yeah, you get it right. If you get it right, but you have to be very careful. Like one thing he was very good at is he didn't want to stay on antidepressants, right? So the lithium balances him. But then they originally they wanted to get him. So he like his arm looked like a heroin addict for a while. He was getting all these different tests and see what what because uh, like Cara Santa Maria broke this down too there's very different like inhibitors and neurohibitors when it comes to antidepressants right mm -hmm. he wanted to wean off of that so what a lot of them encourage which comes back to kind of what we we're saying like diet exercise a lot of these things weigh into mental health right of course, you can't yeah. just throw it on the drug right like oh you're an addict like mm -hmm. so he's very big on he runs marathons he exercises like and that really helps you know the natural endorphins and stuff that he needs so he doesn't have to be on antidepressants right he works out crazy he doesn't drink alcohol because that's a depressant and that can cause things so even if it's a business meeting or something he'll try to be very maybe you know he'll have a social beer or something but he tries not to drink too much because he says He's told me that he's like, if he does for a few business meetings, he's like, I can feel it the next day. I can feel I'm a little off. I'm a little cloudy, right? Like my cognitive function's a little slower, mm. right? So he's like, I try just to stay away from, from me because I know that it can be problematic. Well, he got, it sounds like he got very lucky that they very came lucky. up with medication that can treat him. I, I know a dude who was always a little off and then over the last four or five years has become just a complete paranoid I mean, I want to say paranoid schizophrenic. I don't know. But I mean, he literally believes that everything is a conspiracy. Everything in the world is c tied to mind control tests. And, you know, it's it's sad to see. No, I, I'm, it's just one of those things like, you know, you, you run into people like that and you just go, man, that could be me. Like I could be trapped in that hell, too. And 
I'm super proud of my because like you said, he's one of the only guys I know that is really like he's awesome now. He's really made his life successful. Like a lot of once he was diagnosed, he started sending us like stuff to understand bipolar where it's like eighty five percent of them die. It's mm-hmm. not a good like either um, you know, abuse of substances, right. car accidents, because yeah. things become a video game, right? Like he talks about it now, joking about like he's like, Man, when I was in my crazy days, like I used to ride my my dad's motorcycle going eighty kilometers an hour having a cigarette like on the highway right like he's like i was crazy like i right it's like i didn't smoke before but all of a sudden now i'm smoking and like <laughs> like he was just like i was out of my mind spending money sporadically and and but the, the crazy part that i was really trying to hone in is you don't wake up and know right. right you don't no one tells you right like luckily enough he had a great strong family and people that were like let's talk to someone right because you're not the same like within three month period you're fighting with everyone your friends and your emotions are like you're crying one minute then you're mad and and luckily like you know not a lot of them have a high percentage but he's doing extremely well well mental health issues have such a stigma in this country people don't want to admit they have mental health issues they're they're connected the perception by a lot of people is connected to weakness you know, a depression is a big one. He couldn't get a job for the longest time because he'd be honest about it and then people didn't want to hire him. And I was like, dude, right, that should almost sure. be like, like once he's like, listen, I'm balanced, I'm treated. Like they were like, no, we can't take that risk. Like he was looked well, at like a leper. Can you blame them? Can you blame them? I mean, you don't know whether or not they're balanced. You don't know yeah. whether or not it's going to keep working, like whatever medication they're on. I yeah. mean, I kind of get it on both sides. I certainly think that for a person searching for a job that has mental health issues, it's it's a huge bummer that people can't respect the fact that you've taken all the steps and gotten your treatment and now you're a healthy person. But if you're some guy who's running some office somewhere and you want to keep the peace, you want a friendly work environment and everyone to be family and get along together and you got this dude who's on 15 different kind of fucking pills to keep himself from running head on into walls... You know, I could, I, I can understand it, but yeah. I think that the mental health, the stigma, especially the stigma on depression. I mean, I Cara Santa Maria, who's in the Culture High, yeah. who's a good friend of mine. She, we heard her on here as well. That's where your podcast <laughs> inspired a lot of the people. That's awesome. Well, my podcast inspired me too. I mean, it's you call it my podcast, but what it really is is like it's a door that I found. You know, and I conduit. Yeah, getting good that's really what it there. is. It's a, it's some sort of a strange antenna. And uh, or a path or, or, or a channel in the river or whatever it is and I opened it up and I'm like oh look at this and then all the people are coming through but it's not like people say oh you're doing a, a great service well I'm do, uh, kind of doing a great service to me too like that's the number one benefactor is me because yeah. I get these conversations with all these fantastic people like Graham Hancock or Neil deGrasse Tyson or you know Brian Cox and these like these brilliant brilliant people and you have these fascinating conversations and I, I get so much out of that I mean I'm just I'm constantly curious and constantly filled with all these new ideas and it's amazing for me it's amazing so I, I, same for me like I listen religiously like I I don't listen when my kids are in the car because he <laughs> can go off on tangents at times. Whereas I'll try, and then I'm like, oh, okay, way too many f bombs. I was in my it. car the other day, and I turned it on, and uh, it was uh, the Sirius replay because you know we're on Sirius satellite, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, it was my voice. And the kids sat down. And I'm like, get the fuck out of it, you fucking moron! And daddy, is that you? Yeah. Is that you, daddy? Like, what? Daddy doesn't talk like that. How dare you? Yeah. Uh, turn it into some sort of a joke with but the kids. I, but I can't 
can't even go on like when I anytime I'm going on a long drive like if I don't have podcasts I'm not going like I can't listen yeah. to music anymore I need to and now I got hooked on Dan Carlin's hardcore history from oh, Nirvana, like the best so good the like, best this new one this uh the one that he just put out He's got this this series out, and part six just came out, and it's Blueprint for Armageddon. It's all about World War One. My buddy was just telling me, he's like, Adam, Fuck. he's like, skip the Mongols, go to that no, one. No, no, go. no, don't skip the Mongols. <laughs> the Mongols are still the <laughs> yeah. best. Uh, this, is, this is awesome. It yeah. is a Blueprint for Armageddon is fucking awesome, but the Mongols is epic. I'm loving that. I can't believe, I mean, you've crushed it to death on here, but like how good those guys were riding horses and shooting fucking bows that they were like. I wish I could see it. Yeah. You know, there's a guy named, I think his name is Lars Anderson. I don't know if you've uh, heard of him before. I have But he's this famous on the internet over the last uh, year or so for developing these ancient archery techniques that were lost. And he has like looked in like these ancient texts and photos of how, there's one way of holding bows and arrows that we have today and one way that he thinks that they did back then where they held all the arrows in their hands instead of in a quiver yeah they held them on their hands and they could literally rapid fire several hour arrows in a second and he thinks that this might be one of the like lost techniques that these ancient archers use see this guy here Lars Anderson like look how this guy can like shoot things that f are in the air like you got to see how good this guy is at this Holy how quick he look he throws a tennis ball and as the tennis ball bounces in the air look at this he could shoot it with his fucking look at that he's shooting it with his leg He's got a, a bunch of amazing videos where he shows all the different things he could do. Look, look how quick he can shoot this. He throws the arrow up in the air. I mean, it's incredible. That's insane. He shoots things in the oh, air before they hit the ground. That was coming down with the yeah. bow. Two. He shot two in like a second. And that's the bow in his left hand. He can do the bow in his right hand, bow in his left hand. He can switch back and forth either way. I mean, right this in guy, the eye socket. Yeah, I mean, this yeah. guy must be like seriously autistic. <laughs> Because he's I was just gonna say, how many this. hours of practice is that? Dude, to... yeah, he just shot an arrow. Look at this. He's spinning this wheel, and as the wheel spins, he's shooting the arrows into the wheel. Look at this. He's gonna bounce off this thing. He shot two arrows before he hit the ground. Three arrows in a half a second. This is incredible. Don't I mean, try this at home. Yeah. <laughs> but I think um, oh, fuck, it would be. It would be fucking amazing. So what he's doing right now is he's going to spin and shoot the arrow in the air. And he dodged one there. Yeah. Well, he shoots the arrow in the air as it's coming towards him. The guy shoots an arrow, and as it's coming at him... Holy shit. But I think to see the Mongols and how they had done it must have been really... It would be really amazing if someone was alive that had the kind of proficiency that they had back then. They would, sh they would wait until the horse was in mid-gallop, so all four legs were off the ground before they released the arrow. Yeah, so that it didn't shake. Like, it, yeah. it was insane when he was explaining it. I'm like, that doesn't even seem possible. Like, how possible. could you? Yeah, I, boom, I believe... Boom, I, boom, boom. They would just time it. I mean, it seems totally possible. If you could see that guy shoot three arrows in oh, 0.6 seconds... Well, I, I, I mean... Uh, one of my buddies that plays football, he was talking about how they learn how to run on a treadmill to be more like a gallop so that they don't waste energy. So, I mean, you could see how you How's could. That? I He was just explaining it to me. I hadn't didn't get to see it. And he's like, yeah, we, we learn how to. So it's like you can do strides on the field so you don't burn out. your like you can learn to kind of gallop until you have to really press, right, and get in there so you can keep your momentum up. 
Huh. So it's like less, you know, like me, I'm very heavy footed if I run on the trail. I'm like, palm, 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 right? right? But there's a way to be lighter, kind of like, you know, sprinters are much more on their tippy toes for a part of it, right? Right. Well, they say that you're really supposed to run on the ball of your feet. Yeah. And that, like, this heel running that we've all gotten accustomed to is actually the design of running shoes. And the people creating these running shoes with these really thick heel pads, they've actually changed the gait of runners. Yeah. Ja- Jamie, you're a runner, right? That's, do you run with uh, those kind of uh, running yes. shoes? Uh, yeah, I actually use like the Nike Free Run. They're actually really thin. Not as yeah. thin as like a Converse, but pretty close to that. It's almost like running barefoot, just with a little rubber on your soles. So, so you run and land on the ball of your foot yeah, and use to that to cushion? Top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like it's before, weird to like your, switch, though, your right? Your toes work as like a little bit of a spring for you. Yeah, your mm. toes work as, yeah, it's like a shock absorber. And if you run heel like everybody is used to, that's like super bad for your super knees. Super bad. Like you can just feel it when you get, you know, I've been recently trying to get back into shape is every time we go on road trips for filming, we eat like shit, we're late hours working, you get out of whack, right? It's so when I get home and I can feel it the first couple of weeks I'm on the treadmill, I'm heavy, I've kind of lost my rhythm, I'm like clunk, clunk, I can feel the extra weight in my joints. But then once you get... I kind of get back. I'm like, okay, now I've, it's weird to correct you. And I'm not anyone professional correcting me or looking and seeing if I have the right shoe or whatever. But even I just notice like, okay, I'm starting to get my rhythm, start to pace a bit better. I'm not so heel Mm -hmm. bang as I'm running. Well, I run on the balls of my feet when I do it, but it always feels like I'm on a, I'm falling forward or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like yeah, yeah. it changes the way. I'm not really feeling like I'm falling forward, but you yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. I've got it. Like, am I doing this right way? You know, like I feel like I'm doing something wrong. Yeah. When I run the real way you're supposed to run. Well, because your your body's adapted and molded to the way that is, so then you just go and change it. It's like, well, you know, similar to martial arts when you're like I'm a boxer stance, right? So if I was gonna go, but that doesn't work for fighting MMA, right? right? My stance. Beside, it's much easier for a takedown. I'd have to adapt, and that'd be really awkward for me at first, right? Takedowns is uh, a consideration. Leg kicks is a huge one. Yeah, for boxers like, getting yeah, lit you, up there. You have to be more, more. You have to stand sideways more, or yeah. uh, or uh, parallel more. Yeah, it's just one of those things where um, I think, like, if you watch kids run. You uh, you kind of get a sense like oh this is just natural for them they run on the balls of their feet totally naturally and then we have through those weird shoes we figured out a way to kind of like come up with a new way and that way has been adopted like across the board as people like they think it's the right way well look at you you have young kids and I I have a boy that's three and he's always falling forward because he's so tippy toe heavy mm-hmm. when he runs right yeah, now right yeah and when I go to his daycare I see all the kids are doing like they're well, they so have giant heads too yeah. <laughs> imagine if you have a fucking head like a, a little kid like I have a four-year-old and her head is like almost as wide as her shoulders. You really think about how big their fucking heads are. Imagine if you had a head that went all the way out to the side, yeah. you know, like like one yeah. of those, like like, like you were a furry. Yeah. You yeah. know, like you're one of those dudes who has a mascot head on. It's, yeah, they fall forward. There's too much weight. Their weight's all out of whack. Now my boy bails all the time because he's too, too ah, fat. Yeah, yeah, all the time. But then gets right up and keeps going. Yeah, I think that uh, whoever invented the running shoe with that padded heel, it's it's really kind of amazing how much of an impact that's had. But it works uh, when you're working your regular day job, though, and you're sitting on your heels all day, right? That's Still when you bad run. for you. Yeah. Even those shoes, like, those shoes are bad to walk around in. 
The guys yeah. who are back experts, spinal correction people, they say that the issue of like changing the way you stand, like giving yourself an in, an incline, like because of the fact that you have heels on, like girls that wear high heels yeah. or dudes who wear cowboy boots or shit like that, it's super bad for your back. It's like giving your back this weird sort of. Oh, this oh. is the, the, they had those, um, that's like those uh, barefoot technology shoes yeah, yeah. that people were wearing for a while. I tried wearing those for a while. They were so ridiculous. You know why I stopped wearing them? Yeah. I couldn't wear them on stage. Yeah. You know those, what are they called? BT something? Barefoot? Why, you weren't allowed running? to wear them on stage? No, no, no. You rock oh. in them. They have like this, uh, they don't have the heel. They have like a big flat part uh, a big like thick part in the middle sort of yeah, and the idea is this barefoot technology is like that You got to kind of you're constantly correcting because you're kind of stepping on this odd sponge and then it gives you like You're you're burning off more calories and you're using your balance more in yeah. these stupid shoes huh. This is the idea behind it. But didn't even... that all get debunked that it doesn't actually well I think sketcher sketchers are there's put that up again Jamie There's some sort of a giant class-action lawsuit and the oh consumer injury lawsuits. I didn't know about this. Is this new? Oh, this is new because there was hip, class action angle. lawsuits and now there's but is that for that shoe or is that for that yeah. toe shoe that you're talking about? Yeah. No, this it's is shape up shoe with that rocker thing. Well, yeah, that thing looks ridiculous. I yeah, would, I'd have troubles walking Well, it's it's totally ridiculous, but it's the same exact style of shoes those barefoot run technology shoes Whatever the fuck they're called um, But those these things they're supposed to like you're supposed to be like constantly correcting almost like you're on a uh, a balance bar or something like that Look at this if you or a loved one suffered a broken hip broken ankle stress fracture or Achilles tendonitis uh, That could be the result of wearing toning shoes like Skechers shape-ups. We want to hear from you <laughs> You may be eligible. Oh the fucking the hounds are out You may be eligible to receive compensation for your medical bills lost wages pain and suffering or other damages <laughs> What other damages could there be? No, I couldn't get laid, man. Stress. This yeah, your mental. Wearing, yeah, yeah. Wearing ruined, stupid fucking shoes. It ruined my confidence and prevented <laughs> me from getting job. And... No girl would look at me. Yeah. I started taking mental health medication. Yeah, those um, those shoes were quite popular for a while. But I, I couldn't wear them on stage because you can't stand on your heels. Like, you're kind of rocking a little yeah. bit. Like, if you try to sit back, like, you can't. Like, you can't, like, just because you have this, like, like hump in the center of the shoe. Okay, it's really, really stupid. I, I try to wear things as flat as possible. My my favorite shoes are Chucks, Converse All Stars. Yeah, I like Chucks. Those are my favorite because they're super simple. They're really flat. There's no heel, and those you, you they're the best for working out too because you can like you push off the ground. You, you feel work your out toes. Chucks? Yeah, yeah, lifting really? them or barefoot. I like to lift barefoot. But if I'm at home, I lift barefoot. Yeah. If I'm at a gym, they make you wear yeah, shoes. Yeah, you have to wear shoes. Because huh? that little thin layer is going to help you if you drop an 80-pound dumbbell on there, right? <laughs> that will save your toe. Yeah, I, I guess it would probably help a little, you know? Mm -hmm. I think it might help the cut. So I don't think it will help the bone, but it might help you split and open. Yeah. I just, it's just strange that, like, this style of shoe, like, this is these aren't chucks, but they're the same thing. It's yeah. a really thin sole. That's flat. No, no fat cushion on the bottom like those running shoes with the fat cushion yeah. by the heel supposed to be really bad for you Supposed to be not like also a wallet in your back pocket supposed to be really bad. For I you. have a I can Costanza wall But I put it in my in my I always wear like a sports coat so I can put it in the side pocket there now People are gonna know to pickpocket you Adam Scorgi. They can't get it out. They can't get it out I'll tell you it'll get stuck if they try to I switched to one of these recently a minimalist wallet 
It's oh, just a, a little tiny one that I put in my front pocket. No more fanny pack? Credit cards. I have a fanny pack still. Yeah? yeah <laughs> you haven't given up on no that one? No way. <laughs> no, never giving up. No, I'm not giving that up. It's the best thing. I travel too much. It's the best thing for travel. I put it on. Everything's always right there in the front. I have to reach in my pockets on airplanes and everything. And then when I go through the TSA, I just click. Put that sucker in the basket. Yeah, it does make let sense. It go through. It I get out of there, click, put it right back on, and we're off. <laughs> it does make yeah. sense when you break it down that way. So I'm always thinking, brother. Always thinking. <laughs> always breaking shit down. I, I just don't understand how the fanny pack got out of favor. I just, I, I refuse. I refuse to accept it. Never had one. Satchels. People in their satchels. But it makes perfect. Like, an extra carry-on for you. It's like an extra little bag. Yeah. Yes, you can now look with it that plane. Well, that's right when you were thinking. I was like, actually, I might have to. I might have to rock one of these for my product because I have my passport and like my green card and everything. And like then you've got like for us to cross with film gear, we have to get like uh, they're called pocket letters, so that shows that a Canadian production is hiring Canadian workers. We're not taking American jobs. We're just simply interviewing American subjects, and so I have to have all that documentation and a carnet for equipment to show that we're not selling our equipment that we're bringing down and the whole work. So. It, having that would actually be pretty handy where I could have like all my stuff in there and just take it off mm -hmm. to go through the, the belt. I had this one lady, only one lady ever on a plane, tell me that that was a bag and that that bag had to either be put in another bag or tucked under my seat. And I go, what are you talking about? It's a pocket. It's a pocket that's in the front. It's just not attached to my pants. Yeah. She's like, it's a bag, sir. I go, it's a fanny pack. <laughs> it's a fanny pack that's connected. She made me stuff it in my backpack. Oh, you're really going to make me take this off and put it in my backpack. For takeoff and landing, you have to take all back. Oh, come on, lady. I've been on a million flights. Uh, it, this has never happened it before. It gets so ridiculous to me when someone tries to get the gold star. When you go, you can travel a ton, like, same airline and everything, and then one day someone else is like... Yeah. I try not to argue because always I'm, I'm filming, so I just don't want any reason, especially if I'm going... If I'm going in Canada, I'll argue a bit more, but if I'm going to the United States where I have a chance to not let me in, I just... Uh, Yep, oh, yeah. No problem, no problem, no problem. <laughs> I feel the same way when I go to Canada or anywhere in the world. I'm just like, yes, sir, yep, no, yep, sir. Yes, sir, yep, no problem. Yeah, I had a guy pull me out of line last time I went to Canada. It was I was on my way to do the UFC. It was kind of interesting. The guy, um, he... What is that called? Pa not pattern you. Uh, what is it called? Uh, oh, randomly select. Not or? randomly selected. What is it called when um, like, uh, well, you, you target someone of Middle Eastern descent... You know, like, what is that called? Oh. Profile. Profile you, yeah. Yeah, so um, the guy looked at me, and he, and he goes, uh, come here, sir. May I talk to you for a second? And, uh, like, out of nowhere, there's a line of people. They're looking, and everybody goes, you're a pretty big guy. What do you do? You know, like, like what do I do? Like, what are you uh, talking about? What do I do? Like, what did I do wrong? Yeah. And he goes, uh, he goes, uh, what are you here for? I go, I work for the Ultimate Fighting Championship. He goes, Oh, what's up, Joe? Like, and then he was <laughs> yeah, cool with me, but good. I was like, but if he wasn't cool with me, yeah. you know, like he had decided, he looked at me like, what are you bringing in steroids or something? Yeah. You lifting weights? You got any rocks in that fucking backpack? Yeah. Like it was like, there was like he, I didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. I had all my paperwork and I had my passport and I'd gone through and the guy's like, come here, sir. Can I talk to you for a moment? Like he did not recognize me. I had like, I had a vortex hat on, yeah. you know, like fucking yeah. just, a, like, I was just looked like a normal dude, but for whatever reason. I don't know if he decided, like, we're going to, like, target people who look like they lift weights or people who look like they might be shady. I or... got I got flagged for a while where I was pulled every time I went through Vancouver Airport because one time I was leaving. It was weird. My wife had got me a new bag. It came with, like, she bought me some cologne, and then it came. It was a Calvin Klein bag, like, just a duffel bag that uh. came with the cologne. 
So I packed my stuff. It was like a two-day trip to New York. It was when I was first doing the union. I was looking for crews, and I was interviewing producers and stuff like that. And it was just a quick trip. But then I came back, and then they pulled me aside, and then they tested my bag. And they're like, your bag is tested positive for cocaine. And I was like, what? I was like, bullshit. I was like, show it to me. I was like, I didn't know, understand at the time when they're like, we found cocaine all over your bag. I'm like, bullshit. Let me see. There's no cocaine in my bag. And they said, no, no, no. Well, like we tested it. There's particles. Why would it be on there? Do you do cocaine? I'm like, never in my life. Not even tried it. They're like, well, how is it all over your bag? I'm like, I have no idea. And then, so we went in the back for hours and they're like, they're like, Hey, quit playing this game. We talked to your friend. I'm like, good. Well, he would have told you the same thing. So I was traveling with a friend. I was like, he would have told you the same thing. Oh, they try to go good cop, bad cop. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) He's like, he told us the drill. And I was like, what? What drill? Yeah, that we went to New York. We're looking at developing a a, a documentary. And then, and it finally came down to where I said, okay, like, tell me how this particle thing works. Because I did the night deposit for my nightclub the night before. Right. Uh And they say a large majority of money, especially in nightclubs and stuff. I ask cocaine on it. Right. People do a rail, wipe their hand, grab the bill. Mm -hmm. And I'd done the cash deposit for the nightclub right before our flight. I'd put it in that bag, went to the night deposit put it in the bank and then I flew out at like six or seven in the morning like packed my gear and stuff so I said could it be that like cocaine was on the money that was then in my bag that and they're like yes we can trace particles like that I'm like well then there's your answer but then they looked at my club strip club cheetahs this that, and then there then it was just like we were in there longer and it was like Ugh. so every time I came back and here's the interesting thing is every time I came back through Vancouver they flagged they pull me aside pull me and finally yeah. I was so mad it was like one in the morning I was like please just don't pull me aside I'm so tired I gotta drive to the outskirts of Vancouver to stay at my buddy's place I just want to go to bed it's gonna be like three and please go to the side I'm like so I was so mad I just laid on their metal counter I was tired neck because you know they do the thing where they put you over there and then nobody comes for like half hour yeah. just make you sit there so I just laid I started napping it was exhausted like 1.30 in the morning coming back from New York I laid up there and the girl comes she's like get down I'm like I'm tired it's 1.30 in the morning I'm really tired and I'm not playing any games like she and I finally just said why am I getting pulled over all the time I've never broken a law you can't like there's nothing Every check your thing it, I've never done anything I've never brought over items that I shouldn't I haven't meet and she's like well the big problem is is that one time your bag got tested and I was like I explained that and that should all be in the notes right she said yeah but we always don't trust it when you say you don't do the product right and it's all over your bag because then we think you're a smuggler she's like you're almost better to just say yep I did some cocaine with friends or whatever and we don't have any on me and I was like but I don't I don't do it I'm not gonna say I did it and she's like well that's why they think you're maybe a smuggler you're doing quick trips to New York it's on your bag uh, well it's like the guy who got in trouble for structuring you know? yeah, it's, like, yeah. it's like the same you thing. did it similar to you what it is so we're gonna take your money. money was just cash yeah, they have a bunch of different techniques that they teach these knuckleheads to try to like recognize shady people, and so they like think they're fucking spies or like think they're detectives, uh, like staring at everybody. Oh, I don't know about that, Jamie Vernon. Look at his face. He, I I saw a deceptive tick, sir, yeah. and I immediately pulled him <laughs> out of the line. I actually got the guy really pissed off one because I used to get these were the Canadian guys, and I'm a Canadian, so I was like, you can't kick me out of my own country. So I'd battle with them a little bit harder. Right. And the one guy asked me, he's like, have you ever done a narcotic and I was like no never done a narcotic he's like if you never smoke weed I'm like that's not a narcotic narcotic comes from the Latin word meaning narcosis causing a sleep induced state which is usually applied to opiates and heroines and stuff oh, like that no, he I, was like, wrong, Mar- I was like marijuana is a psychotropical drug I think he was just like psychotropic he, he's psychotropic right that's a like, <laughs> tropical is like a part of the world and and uh and he was just like let's not get to the nitty-gritty and I said no 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 you're a border guard you're asking me questions I'm answering honestly so if you're gonna ask me questions you make sure you answer the you ask me the right one and I 
will give you the correct answer. And he was just like, go. Right? <laughs> <laughs> he was like, you can go. That's the difference between Canadians and Americans. <laughs> Americans, they would like, fuck this guy. Yeah. Make him wait. <laughs> <laughs> Canadians are more willing to admit defeat. Excuse me. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I just think that the whole boarded thing is fucking ridiculous. You know, it's, it, it, it's really ridiculous. Well, and that I had that debate with one of them too. I'm like, do you guys know you're stopped? Like the big guys smuggle hundreds of tons, like through transport ships. Yeah, I've got one carry on. How much are you getting today? Well, right? you know how few of those transport boxes ever get checked. Oh. When you look at those gigantic freighter ships and they're just covered in those boxes the vast majority of those boxes never get searched well look at howard marks from our film the mm -hmm. cannabis smuggler from the uk he was what a great by the way genius way to put it in there what he's like yeah. i made deals with the road manager of pink floyd genesis because he's like of course they're even if they did the test thing back then they're like it's a band of course there's weed and stuff like and he put <laughs> it all in there and smuggled it across yeah hash right yeah. inside those speakers and the all the different he's an old school legend yeah, where's that guy now? Where does he live? He actually, he's still in the UK, can't really leave the UK, I don't think. Right. But, but he just got diagnosed with uh, unoperable uh, colon cancer. So he's taking a turn. He's bald now, going Ooh. through things. He's going on kind of a last tour, and there's a doc being done specifically just on him and his, and his role. But, uh, I mean, a brilliant character. I love watching the theater, but he's laughing when he's on. He's, he's hilarious. Some, he's got great charisma. Yeah, well, what I th one of the things I thought was really hilarious about him was what he said, that if he could do it today, he <laughs> He's like, I crack it up. He's like, I mean, I loved it. <laughs> yeah, like, that was great. <laughs> such a great, honest answer. And yeah. he's just like, he's like, I suppose if I could get away with it, I'd crack it up today. I mean, yeah. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like he was having a ball. A ball. He loved yeah. it. He was like a rocker. <laughs> like, and he, Yeah, he, he, and then the other part that's funny too is when he talks about the DEA and he's like they say it was 50 tons but I know of course you're a transporter yeah. you know what you're getting and receiving yeah. he's like I know it was only 30 tons I know how much I was making off of that yeah that he's he was amazing he was an amazing part of that he that's just so important to recognize how silly this whole war on drugs has been and how ineffective this whole world so war on drugs has been and that these guys who were the enemy are these charismatic, really hilarious, nice people. That actually spent lots of time and effort to try to change the laws. And we asked him, we're like, you were making a profit on it, though, wasn't he? He's like, oh, I just feel that it'd be like a rocker. I was only going to last so long and kind of just do it as long as I could until I went down, right? What's next? Are you going to do another documentary on weed? Yeah, actually, we've got... Not on weed. I'm, I'm, done. <laughs> I'm done on weed. How can you? Colorado. No, no we're done on weed. I've got uh, two in the works right now. We actually just got one approved about Robbie Knievel called Chasing Evil. Oh, wow. That we're looking on all about how he was chasing his father's legacy and then ultimately surpassed it. And then his own father, like, actually was, like, threatened by his son rivaling his thing. So it became... comes pretty dark. Um, and then also another one that I've been working on for years to get the finance together. It's uh, Ice Guardians, all about the uh, role of NHL enforcers in the history of fighting in hockey and how now it's being weaned out of the game, where it started, why it evolved over the years. It's called the pussification of the world, Adam Scorgi. Pussification of America. Yeah, why are they taking fighting out of hockey? How dare they? <laughs> you take away fighting out of hockey, you know what you got? Figure skating yeah. with, a tic, <laughs> well, with a black tic-tac. Yeah.
Well, there's there's some very interesting uh, uh, dynamics that plays into it. Because such a fast game, and you're on a foreign surface with razor blades on your feet and sticks, mm. and you know a lot of the pro. Because we didn't just interview tough guys; we're interviewing superstars and stuff too, right? That said, like, look, I played my best games when I knew there wasn't a chance a guy was going to lift his stick and hit me in the eye or throw an elbow was going to be concussion. He's like, yeah, he can get suspended or get a fine, but nothing is more intimidating than when you have a six foot six killer that he comes and leans over your shoulder and says, if you play reckless like that again, I'm coming. Right. right. Yeah. So intimidation where it's, it's a fascinating dynamic that's been argued, like kind of like the marijuana thing where there's always the, you know, black and white, but there's so many other nuances to it. And for me, the story I thought that's always been missed is these guys are amazing charismatic guys that were so selfless willing to fight on ice bare knuckle no weight class to make their dreams of playing in the nhl come true and protect their teammates that part has always been lost in the argument is how selfless they were and you want to talk about humility I kind of compare it to what you and Eddie Bravo have talking about jujitsu, where it's like the douchebag eliminator, right? Mm-hmm. Like someone comes in, I'm the biggest, baddest, and you get like the 16-year-old to pretzel them three times. Well, with the enforcers, they've all been where they've been knocked out or they've lost a fight or something. So they're humble as shit. They don't know any given day their career can end. They get sent to the minors. They That does happen too. those guys. They get beat up real bad too, and they're never the same again. Never the same mentally, or they get knocked out, and then they have... Con- so the humility of them, they're some of the greatest athletes I've met, like getting to work with these guys. Perfect example, we interviewed a guy that won a Stanley Cup with the Kings. Um, he was a Princeton graduate, Kevin Westgarth, graduated with a degree in psychology, super intellectual guy. And in college, they don't allow the fighting, right? They don't have fighting and they wear full cages uh, instead of open visor or open mask. So he got drafted to the NHL to play for the Kings and they wanted that physical presence that he bought. He brought. And he got knocked out in a game and um, against, uh, it was like two years ago in Calgary. And we asked him, like, what was the first thing that went through your head? Like when you woke up and realized, like, you're in front of 16,000 people, hundreds of thousands of people on Hockey Night in Canada have been watching. And this part almost brought us all to tears when he was like, well, once I realized where I was and what happened, I was like, shit, he got me. He's like, and then the next thing I realized is like, wow, I let my team down. I was like... So injury, knocked out everything. The first thing you're thinking about is that you let your team down. He's like, yeah, he's like, I really, you know, I'm supposed to be the guy there that they depend on. That's the backbone to give them, you know, strength and everything else. And I'd let my team down. And several of these guys had said that. And that selflessness that they are willing to give to their team to help them win. That to me is so much more, you know, when you're going through the journey of a documentary, so much more compelling than just statistical arguments and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I always wonder, like, when you see violence in NHL or football, or I wonder how much longer that's going to be a part of society. It's interesting. It's very interesting how, like, it's. It, but I. But then UFC has never been more popular, right? Um, there's arguments that it's uh, it's oversaturated. Um, I disagree. I think it's just. I think there. What there is is there's ebbs and flows. Yeah. And it's depending upon um, a bunch of factors. Dominant champions. Do, champions get dethroned. There's yeah. new guys coming up. They but they don't have the same. Like Chris Weidman, although he beat Anderson Silva twice, better than Anderson Silva, arguably. It's especially today. Yeah. Still doesn't have the name that Anderson yeah. Silva had. Yeah. George St. Pierre, sort of same thing. Robbie Lawler, who's currently the champ, yeah. doesn't have the name that George had. Although, you know, he'd probably be favored if George and Robbie fought today. Robbie'd probably be favored. I think George is far more popular. Yeah. And that's just one of those things. Like Brock Lesnar. 
Yeah. Cain Velasquez does not have the popularity that Brock Lesnar had. Obviously, mm-hmm. in a different reason, because for a different reason, because he was the WWE champ and big pro wrestling But he was guy. very loud and spoken, yeah. and like he was almost a perfect villain, right? Yeah. You wanted to see him lose because of his some of his antics mm-hmm. and the way he acted. Like, I'm a ridiculous fan. I watch all the time. So, yeah, me too. Uh, yeah, I get what you're saying. Like, GSP in Canada, I mean, you're talking about like an, a god there, right? Yeah, but not even just in Canada. All throughout the world. I mean, he has so many characteristics so many character traits just he was an honorable martial artist who is a great fighter I yeah mean, that's that's what he is and a well-spoken guy and just he's so classy like everything about him he's just a, he's a, a brilliant person well and that's what I think some of the other fighters may not have is that I mean you had the full package with GSP yeah. right like physically he looked astonishing too mm-hmm. right like if you were to look you're like oh wow I can see how he's a champion mm-hmm. like he's ripped he's this very polite always like after a fight I want to give my guy credit I know he'll be back stronger and yeah. more competitive next time like that's much more marketable other guys you know don't have like Cain Velasquez I love and I think he's a destroyer but he's much more monotone like he doesn't have I think that would have been fine if he didn't get injured so much I think what's held Cain back is he's only fought a few times over the last four years yeah he just keeps getting injured shoulder surgery knee surgery Oof. I mean he's had one after the other He's had several knee injuries, uh, two separate shoulder uh, operations on both shoulders. I mean, his mental toughness and his drive as, and the, the training routine that those guys go through is just so unfucking believably brutal that his body just can't keep up. That's with what it. I was going to say, because he puts a pace for a heavyweight that you just can't. I mean, lightweights can't put the pace that he puts on. Like He, he really does. I get exhausted watching him. He outconditions guys when they like guys who train at AKA. He'll talk about he outconditions welterweights. And they can't believe it. He outconditioned some of the 155 pounders. It's crazy. I mean, he's moving around 100 more pounds, and somehow or another, he can keep up with them and surpass them. He's a freak. But I think the the injuries is what has held him back from being insanely popular because he's huge in the Mexican community. Yeah, he's going to fight in Mexico. They're fighting Fabricio Berdum. Uh, that's that fight's going to be great fight in yeah. June, and uh, I can't wait to see that fight. And that's going to be in Mexico City, which is going to be really crazy because they're fighting at. I think it's 7,000 feet above sea level. It's very high altitude. Uh, Mexico City is no joke when it comes to altitude. Like, you really feel it. Well, I know even uh, we go to Park City. My family has a house in Park City and Mm. just in Utah, the elevation up there. My dad, I thought my dad was having a heart attack the first time we went skiing. He fell off the first run, was panning. He's like, I'm like, Dad, are you okay? And he's like, oh, I think the elevate, like I'm having troubles breathing. Yeah. And then after a few runs, we kind of got a little bit adjusted, but it was interesting to see. I was like, wow, I can't imagine in fighting. Like, that's just going down skiing. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, it's physical, but not like not like competing in, in any kind of fight game. Did you ever see Mark Hunt versus Ben Rothwell? That was a fight that took place in Denver. Yes, yes, it was I did. Yes. Fucking ridiculous. These guys were so tired. So they tired. They were going to die. They were just like swinging from their shoulder joints yeah. by the end. Of the, they, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was all will and heart after a certain point in time. There's just no energy left. And I'll, we've never had like a real long heavyweight fight at high altitude other than that fight. I think this this last one between Fabricio Verdum and Mark Hunt ended in the second round. Yeah. Uh, Fabricio caught him with a knee. But like they get into like a Junior Dos Santos versus Cain Velasquez type fight, yeah. which those fights were fucking brutal. I don't Except think Junior's ever one. been the same since then. 
Um, I don't think he has either. It um, seems to have affected. Didn't he get really sick from like overtraining in one of them? It was yes. He fought in the second fight. He had what they call rhabdomyolysis. Yeah, which is what those CrossFit people yeah, get. Uncle, I think I'm saying it right. Yeah. Yeah, that um, that comes from your your body just overtrained to the point where your kidneys are breaking down and failing. And they're feeding on your own muscle, right? Yeah, is it's that awful? Yeah, it's awful. Um, that's just it was just such an unbelievably brutal fight. So I think it was that, and it was also the fact the the, the brutality of the fight itself, and then also perhaps overtraining. Yeah. To prepare for Kane's insane cardio, you know, because Kane just. He brings it on a level that, and a lot of it, they, according to the guys that train with him, is genetic. Like, he can just take three or four weeks off, like, get injured, something like that, come back, outwork everybody. Well, you can, I, I compare, and in my very limited boxing career, but when you talk about, I hear you talking about, like, you can't train power, right? Like, that's something, like, there's genetic aspects in the way your body is. You can't train a certain amount of power. Certain amount of power. Yeah, like um, George Foreman type power. Well, when I, you either have or you don't. When I boxed, that was one thing. I was very young. I was 15 at 135, but I mean, at that weight, I hit really hard, right? Straight right hand. It was really, by the end of my sparring partners, they'd only put me in with 25-year-olds because they were worried that if I lost my temper, I might hurt the necks of 15-year-olds, right? Like, not trying to sound like a Hercules, but just that was my, you know, for me, that came instantly. The first time I started learning focus pads, for me, that was there. It was you know like, what the problem with that is, um, with a lot of folks, is that they rely on that and they don't develop the skills like I, the guys like a Wayne McCullough or like a guy who doesn't necessarily have brutal one-punch knockout power. Like even Julio Cesar Chavez, yeah. arguably one of the greatest of all time, yeah. didn't have that vicious one-punch power, but he just would go at you with accumulation of perfectly placed punches. I would bet on that anytime that like that better conditioning will because mm -hmm. it really like and we're going back to the mental thing like especially if a power puncher if you fight that guy that just he's not going down and mm -hmm. he's got that chin and you hit and like you said then you're overcoming you're like okay wow this guy might have to actually like outlast him condition wise right. and start being like like then all of a sudden you already start second guessing yourself and you're losing you're like mm -hmm. oh shit like I I saw it in the um, uh, Showtime Pettis the last fight when he got caught in the eye mm -hmm. right. And he took it for who's the the Brazilian that he fought as a Rafael dos Anjos. I thought I saw it then. I was like, wow, he looks like he might be second guessing himself right now. He's like, holy, I can't get space from this guy. I mm -hmm. can't, I can't impose my will. And once that mind starts turning, that you start second guessing, like, is my, I had it in the ring, my loss, where it was like I I I I, I got whooped because I. Just relying too much on my power, didn't train enough, and then got beat. That's right? the same thing with jujitsu as well. Um, the, what I always tell, tell people, like, if you really want to learn jujitsu right, learn it from a small guy, because small guys rely on perfect technique. Like, um, if you look at like the the really big, physically strong guys that are good at jujitsu, there's a totally different style that they have than like say a Barrett Yoshida or a Hoyler Gracie or an Eddie Bravo or you know there's a bunch of those guys that are smaller guys that have a Leo Vieira perfect technique, and you need perfect technique when you're a physically smaller person because when you're in the gym. If you go like you go to John Jock Machado's Jiu Jitsu Academy or whatever, you're you're gonna roll with a bunch of different people. Like somebody might roll with you. You're probably like what 215 pounds or something like that. Yeah, 210. I've come down a little there bit. You go. That's nice. oh, there you go. <laughs> or, the, or you might roll with Jamie, who's yeah. probably like 170, right? Yeah. What's that? 175. Some of the, what you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Like there's and you know if you're a small person, 
Like no one, if I got, if I weigh 150 pounds, I'm not going to outmuscle you. I have to figure out a way to work around you. I have to figure out a way to get your back. Or I have to figure out a way to use technique only because I can't overpower you. But you can overpower a lot of people. Yeah. And big man jujitsu is kind of shitty jujitsu because big men are just always trying to force their way into things. Yeah. And a lot of wrestlers have that as well because wrestlers are used to fighting guys in their weight class. They're used to, or wrestling rather, guys in their weight class and they're used to just just grinding and full power and speed and explosion and be a harder worker and all that stuff. Whereas with jujitsu, it's about moving around it and, and it's all or about- Or the chess game. Yeah, well, it's just about understanding technique and positioning and if you learn from like uh, a guy Mendez or something like the Mendez brothers are famous for being small guys who just tap much larger guys on a regular basis and it's just that pure technique understanding the leverage understanding the positions and you only get that from being smaller and I think if you look like at a guy like Floyd Mayweather Floyd Mayweather has a bunch of knockouts in his career but he just does not have the kind of one-punch knockout no. power that a lot of other fighters do even combo knockout power he doesn't yeah. have it but he also also he's so fucking smart you know when it comes to boxing yeah he's so fucking smart that he realizes the most important thing is don't get hit yeah that is the most important thing well, for your health and for scoring and for the whole works. For, for everything. I mean, what he does to people is shuts all their offense down. You just can't hit him. He's moving. He's popping you with the jab. He's popping you with the right hand. He's clinching. He's getting the fuck out of the way. And he's not going to stand toe-to-toe -to -toe and dig his heels in and try to swing with you like some fighters would do. Like some fighters who would make things exciting. Yeah. You know, like a Mickey Ward or an Arturo Gotti, like those two yeah, guys yeah, when they yeah, get yeah, together they and go fucking to go to war. Well, like Ray, Ray Mancini, that right. was his style, right? Is that he could... Outcondition you. Outcondition you. Outwill you. He, Ray actually was really disappointed that they took away the championship rounds, like after his fight, because boxing made a ruling to try to. It wasn't just his fight; it was a compound of a few other things. But they no longer had fights past the twelve round. Right. And Ray, he's like, I guess, like he's saying, the science doesn't show that you take any more damage in those rounds than in the first rounds when a guy's strong and crisp, right? Like you can still deliver the same amount. And for Ray, he's like, those those were my best rounds. Like mm. when you would tire and you'd almost want to give up or your will would break a little bit. He's like 12, like 13, 14, 15. That's when I'm coming on strongest, mm. right? Let's see if you really have what it takes to be a champion. Well, you see that with some guy like Mighty Mouse, Demetrius Oof. Johnson. He's a perfect example of technique. Mighty Mouse is the 125-pound UFC champion and a guy, in my opinion, who's the best overall Pound for pound fighter ever. That's why, I, why do you, I believe why do you he's think the best. that he's not like? I mean, I'm a fan, so I know who he. But why do you think he's not as made like not as known? Like because he weighs that, 125 pounds. Just the size. Look, is I'm five eight, and when yeah. I interview him in the octagon, I look like a giant. You know, he's a <laughs> yeah. small guy. It, it just there's just no getting around that. It's just there's the reality of physics. Yeah. And you know, people just they, they want to see. Look, in his last fight, he finished the fight with one second to go in the fifth round of a fight he was totally dominating. He went for an armbar and got it with one second to go. Yeah. Against Horaguchi, who's this badass motherfucker. Horaguchi's a maniac. You know, he fights. He's got this wild, aggressive style. Couldn't couldn't hit Demetrius. He's just so good. He's so slick, and he's he epitomizes the technique. The technique and knowledge and strategy angle of fighting. Everything he does is technique, knowledge, and strategy. He's not overpowering anybody or muscling or taking one to give one. None yeah. of that nonsense. There's zero of that nonsense going on. So in my opinion, like when I look at like, 
you know, people say, well, John Jones is the best. Well, certainly one of the best. Like, look how tiny he is there. <laughs> you know, but that's him making weight, though. He'll gain a little bit of weight after that, too, yeah, before he gets into pretty... the octagon. He's very sucked in there. Yeah. Which is also an unfortunate aspect of fighting. And also an interesting aspect, like with Daku Kim, they started making weigh-ins the day before. Yeah. Uh, which they didn't during that fight. Yeah. And another interesting thing is that almost all the deaths that have happened in boxing, a vast majority of the like, serious injuries, came from guys who cut a significant amount of weight. And when you cut that weight, you put your brain at risk, apparently, because you dehydrate everything. And it takes a long time to rehydrate your brain fluid and spinal fluid and all that stuff. When you're, when you're sucking yourself dry, you're taking, you can't spit. Yeah. Like, people don't know what it's like. It's, hor it's a horrible feeling. I did feeling. that for one of my body. That was actually the fight I lost, was when I really depleted myself and mm. was spitting in a cup and putting Oof. a uh, garbage bag over and skipping and running. And Wrestlers constantly do that. I mean, they brutalize their body doing that. And what's the difference between wrestling and fighting, though, of course, is that when you're wrestling re dehydrated, you're not getting kicked in the head. Yeah. You know, when you're uh, kicked in the head might actually... Well, I don't think it's better, but at least it'd be quick. You know, <laughs> yeah. you get kicked in the head. It's you, over quick yeah. instead of taking a barrage of mm -hmm. punishment. Yeah. I mean, you see some fights where they go on for 10 rounds of just a, a, a beat down. Doom, 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 doom. And then finally the guy will collapse in the 10th round. You're like, how much can the brain take? You oh. know, how much, and especially a brain that has already been significantly weakened by de dehydrating. I hate dehydration in fighting. I think it's the number one problem that the UFC has, mm -hmm. uh, other than, you know, some, some issues with like different rules and knees on the ground. There's a few other issues, but I think the number one safety issue is dehydration. And I don't know how to stop it because people are always going to try to get that competitive edge. You would have to like get everyone together and say, can we just make an agreement where we just fight? At the weight that we are, but you know, you're gonna have one fucking guy fuck mm -hmm. that up. Even yeah. if you did, if a majority, if ninety percent of the fighters yeah. are on, you're gonna have a few of those guys that. No doubt, no doubt. I mean, um, what's interesting with the head check is Ray. I talk like Ray's in great how's, shape. How's he doing now, like mentally? Fine. He had a cat scan. He's like he, but he want, talks a little. He talks a little, but his dad did the same thing where they just talk with their animated and their hands. But like, his voice sounds a little. It's a little slurry. At times when he, it's funny when you put him like because when we toured the film and you'd go to festivals and stuff and you get him in front He speaks immaculately, right? He gets excited. Yeah, yeah. Except, but when you kind of just hanging out sometimes it kind of stutters a little bit But give him a couple of beers. He says that he's he's had a scan and he said he's like no no bad scar tissue and stuff like that But That's he was incredible. He was very good as soon as he ended his career though He didn't even spar like as I asked him like oh, do you still work out? And he's like yeah, I still hit the bag and run him like do you spar? He's like, no, no, no He's like, I put all my wars when I competed. Soon as I stop, no more sparring. I don't care if it's a friend that wants to, like, done. Good for Headshots him. were over, right? Well, Sugar Ray Leonard is kind of the same way. Sugar Ray Leonard, uh, you know, you could tell there's a little loss there. Yeah, yeah. There's a little struggle when yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard has to talk about things. You did pretty you well. See, <laughs> there's, a little, there's a little hitch in his step yeah. as opposed to when he was younger, but... You know, as far as the amount of fights that guy had, championship fights against guys like Tommy Hearns, yeah. Marvin Hagler, I mean, Roberto Duran, he fought some of the best, best. of the best. Yeah. To, to get through that and be a, a regularly functioning man in his 50s, then there's also depression. There's a bunch of things that go along with head trauma that we're starting to find out about that, man, if they could figure out a way to mitigate that or 
or or fix it once it's become an issue because it's one of the few things that once the function is compromised there's really not much they can do about it they can well, repair your shoulder you know well isn't it because you talk about alpha brain a lot and wasn't the original guy that started looking into nootropics like a football player that had a whole bunch of no brain? he's definitely not the original guy bill yeah. romanowski yeah he's, but that's how i found out about it he has a great okay. product that you could buy right now it's called neuro one yeah and neuro one um i found out there was used to be this show in san francisco um, uh, called uh, Sarah No Name on Alice. There was a radio station called Alice, and I do the radio station all the time. And No Name was the one of the the DJs. Yeah. Um, he was friends with Romanowski, and Romanowski would train him and take him to work out with him and stuff. And Romanowski gave him this tub of this stuff that he had called Neuro One. He gave him some like some sample packs to give away, and I took it and I was like, "Whoa, this stuff has got something in it, man!" And he was like, "It's for brain function." I was like, "Well, what does it do?" And he goes, and then he explained it to me, and then I there was no, I don't even think there was Google at the time, <laughs> so I ha <clears throat> that's like ancient. We're talking about the olden yeah. days. Oh yeah, well this is when I was doing morning radio. I haven't done morning radio in a long, but I, I occasionally do it but I used to do it for every gig I did right. I'd have to do morning radio to promote the gig so I um, I go and start looking up uh, various things in nootropics and I found out about paracetam and all these that was how we eventually got into developing alpha brain but neuro one um, Romanowski developed because he was having issues with his cognitive function after a series of concussions I mean playing in the NFL who knows how many times that guy got concussed I mean it's yeah. just up in the air but so he you know he took a proactive approach to dealing with it and um, built up uh, this line of products and what is it like like an alpha brain in that one are there any benefits kind of like a like just a vitamin if you take it on a regular basis for people that have had head trauma can make things look, like I know it's not a miracle pill that's gonna correct it but yeah, I it? wouldn't even want to speculate quite honestly I mean I take it all the time but I take it for memory I take it for oh, um, Brett Brett like raves about it when he was writing the culture high like that was part of it he's like adam you need to get me alpha brain when i'm writing like he for him that's his thing he's like when i'm writing and being creative he wants alpha brain it's not going to turn us a, a dummy into a smart person no but what it what it will do is it gives you you know the human neurotransmitters and this is obviously coming from a, an untrained uneducated monkey <laughs> when you hear me talk but human neurotransmitters, essentially everything that your body has, right? I mean, your body is developed based on the building blocks that you put into it, nutritional building blocks. I mean, that's the only thing your body takes in. Other than that, it can't. you literally can't replicate all the cells in your body without food and nutrition. I mean, that's, that's literally what it's there for. And it, the more healthy precursors for neurotransmitters, the more healthy foods, the more healthy uh, nutrients you take into your body, the better your body functions, period. And they've isolated a bunch of different nutrients that can help your brain function better. And there's not just this stuff that's in alpha brain. If you just Google nootropics, you know, and I try to be as even about this as possible because even though I'm a part of on it and I sell it, I want... I want everybody to understand, like, this isn't voodoo, it's not snake oil, it's not the, the Boston Center for Memory that did the tests on Alpha Brain is a very well-respected institution. We, we brought them two separate, double-blind, placebo-controlled studies. The one was a pilot study that was 20 people, the other one was 63 people, and both of them showed improvements in memory, improvements in executive function, improvements in reaction time, and it's, it's not mumbo-jumbo, it's all based on 
what does your body need to produce human neurotransmitters? There's certain nutrients. Take those nutrients. Your body will produce human neurotransmitters more effective. What is the benefit? The benefit is you don't have to search for words as much. You have, uh, you'll have better cognitive function, and you react to things quicker. You'll have better reaction I mean, it, it makes perfect sense. I know just basically when we go on road trips and we're shooting and we're working long hours and you're trying to get to interviews because when you know, you're doing interviews for docs, they're free interviews. So mm -hmm. it's on those person's time we set up and then we're trying to make theatrical. So you got to set up the light. They're long days and we go eat like shit and I'm crushing energy drinks and stuff. I feel it at the end of the week. Like my body's like, what are you doing to yourself? Yeah. Right. And then when I get back and I start eating like, you know, good fishes and vegetables oh, yeah. and protein, then I'm like, oh, now I feel better. And sleep. There's yes. very few things as important as sleep. I mean, you, you need all those nutrients, but if you take all those nutrients and you're not giving your body a chance to utilize them and recover and rest, you, you're not going to have the benefits. There's a, a guy we had on, Dr. Andrew Hill, who has a product that I really like, too, called True Brain. And uh, he gave us some when we were at the studio. I like that as well. It's a different formula than Alpha Brain. But there's a bunch of these different formulas. You can find a bunch of them online, experiment, try it out. What we try to do with Alpha Brain is make it as ethical as possible. So, like, if you take, this is a, a 30 pill count. If you take this, you got 90 days. If at 90 days you say this stuff is bullshit, it's not doing anything, you get 100% of your money back. You don't even have to return the, the package. And the only reason why we did that is because, like, what's the best way to ensure that no one is going to complain about being ripped off? But still, people. Complain. I was I was gonna say people probably still <laughs> found a way. Oh yeah, man. People people get angry, but they're always gonna be angry at everything. You yeah. use if you don't believe in nootropics, don't buy them. That's yeah. fine. But if you Google it, or if you just go to the Onnit website and read all the research on Alpha Brain, read all the references. If you don't think that there's something in all that, then just walk away from it. Just just. But if you if you're interested, like, you know, and people say it's not worth it. What it to me. Cognitive function is one of the most important things to me. The way the the quality of my thinking, the way my brain works. I've experienced dull thinking. I've been disappointed in my thinking. I've been disappointed in my process. And I've also been like, ooh, I'm on right now. This is great. I'm getting things done. And I try to steer towards anything that gets me to the I'm on. Yeah. And the nutrition is the biggest one. For me, without a doubt, the biggest factor in how my brain functions is eating a lot of vegetables and eating healthy foods and keeping away from shitty foods, keeping away from sugar. If I do all that, I guarantee I, I feel, I know I feel a difference. I, I, I feel a difference in the way my brain functions. I'm the same way, but when we travel, sometimes it gets tough and I need to like... It's the most hard. I need to start getting some of your nature box snacks. That's what I need to start hooking up. Those are pretty good. Snacks, yeah. yeah. Well, just eat fruit too. You know, when you're yeah. on the road, go to a supermarket. You know, if you're on the road, you, supermarket, you can go, go to the fruit aisle, get some apples, get some oranges, get some bananas and leave them in your hotel room. You yeah. know, that you're going to ensure that you're going to be taking in fresh nutrients. Yeah. You know, it's just a little trip to the supermarket. It's not that hard. Yeah. A lot of times you need hotels, to start putting that into the into the, yeah. the, the line items of things to get done. You know what I get too, man? What? When I go to, uh, I get kombucha. I don't have one right here. Oh, I know kombucha. Oh, dude, that's big. For, for probiotics, yeah. as far as like um, your immune system health, 
It's like one of the best things. I, I love it. It makes a huge impact. I very, very, very rarely get sick, and I travel a lot. I don't get sick lots. I'm fortunate there, knock on wood. I'm good with that, but I just feel I, I get run down, I put on weight, and then I get it in my face right away. I'll see pictures when we're on the road. I'm like, fuck, I was eating bad, and like my face gets pudgy. I see it a right away. that's inflammation, too, like sugar. And yeah, well, that's what you're crushing energy drinks and all that crap oh, on the road. So. Yeah, so Those are acid in a can. Like You can feel like when you burp them up and stuff, you're like... That is acid. I'm surprised it doesn't just eat through my stomach and leak out of my belly button. I'll tell you what, though. Red Bull is fucking delicious. It is delicious. What I those drink? assholes <laughs> put in Red Bull to make it so yummy? I, I'm I with like you. I like the taste. I like the taste, too. It's good. I crush those. On, like, when we go on the road, we actually had a joke. <laughs> we had our sound guy when we were filming The Culture. I came in our van, and he's like, why does your van smell like Red Bull? And we're like, look at all the cans in the back. <laughs> we were crushing Red Bull, and we're like, that's why it smells like Red Bull. That stuff is super bad for you, though. So bad. It's Especially when you drink those big ones, like the gas station. I don't ever go. I've I've really been good at that. That I don't ever drink more than two of the small sugar-free. That's the most <laughs> I drink. Uh, back in the when we were working the cult, there's days I drank like four or five, like <gasps> giving myself. That's really scary. Yeah. Well, the, uh, the there's a gas station that I go to that sells them, and they have the normal size ones. Yeah. But then they have these giant ones. Yeah. Now. I don't... <laughs> like what the fuck? Those ones you... look like heart attack in a can to me. I'm scared. Do they say more than one portion on? It, when you read the giant ones, does it say like three servings or something sneaky? Well, I thought it said that on the small ones. Like, <laughs> do not drink more than one can per day. And then now you have those giant bullets when I'm like. They just get, if they give it to you and just write somewhere in the fine print, there's four servings per can. You know, and they're like, they're good. Yeah, they're good. Yeah. Because <laughs> they'll say like, one serving is 200 milligrams of caffeine, four servings per can. Wait a minute. Yeah. How, hold, hold on. How much can you drink before your dick explodes? How much do you drink before you fucking I, oh, your head oozes out of your ears? Well, I always wonder when I see someone that's really overweight and they're crushing one of those giant. I'm like, man, uh, you're you're putting your heart at risk. I'd have to think like that. Yeah, I had a friend who used to carry one of those Monster Energy drinks with him. You literally never saw him without one of those things. He was completely addicted to them. He was drinking them all day long, and uh, he went <laughs> he went to a spin class. And he went to a spin class with my friend, and he was fucking dying in the spin. Like he literally had to get off the bike. Like his heart was pounding. I'm like, dude, you're on speed. Yeah, you're, like, you're on speed. You've probably taken a thousand milligrams of caffeine in the last few hours. Well, since there's been no regulate, or uh, there's some regulate, but you've been hearing about uh, young kids and stuff on sports teams having big problems, right? Or the five-hour oh, yeah. energies and stuff, right? Killing people. They're, they're five-hour energies kill people. Well, I thought that well, was not like just a low one caffeine, but but some people when they're studying or something like that, they crush four or five, right? Yeah, but uh, I'm pretty sure five-hour energy drink is low caffeine, and it's like vitamin B12 and a bunch of other that, shit. Double check that, Jamie. Google and see if there's to make sure I'm not. Yeah, speaking out of my ass, but I thought I'd read some articles on that of people that, you know, they were looking at the cause of death and it was like really high uh, caffeine. caffeine levels or or what's the like grana seed or malhung that's in a lot of those things. Yeah, that are yeah. The, guarana, guarana yeah. seed. So yeah, that's a natural form of caffeine, right? Isn't it? Or I some sort of similar. Stimulant? There's like a mixture of them that they would put in because when uh, ephedrine like was taken out of a lot of them, then they oh, put those like, <laughs> ephedra. <laughs> Did you ever have Rip Fuel? You ever well, try that my, stuff? <laughs> a good buddy of mine who's a big fan, he'd love a show. My buddy Jared was addicted to, we joke about it, like in the morning, I'd hear him because we roomed in New York and I'd hear the chuk 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 of his bottle and he would take the ephedra, <laughs> like a daily routine. Okay, so look at this. The extra has 230 milligrams of caffeine. The regular one has 200 and decaf. What is decaf? <laughs> the five hour energy decaf. Get the fuck decaf. out of here. <laughs> 
So, so how um, much is that compared to a cup of coffee? I like think that? 200 milligrams is a Starbucks large, like a venti Starbucks, I think, right? F Google that. Find that out. But then what's the other stuff in it, too, right? Like, is there, a, like, a mixture if you do a lot of the caffeine and the... Sodium, vitamin B12, large B12. Wow, look at that. 8,333% of the daily value. Yeah. So 500 MCGs of uh, B12, folic acid. What'd you do? Oh, that kind of shows the comparison there to Red Bulls and stuff like that. Um, niacin, which is healthy for you. Energy blend. Look at this, though. What is that? Energy blend. Where do you see that? Right there at the bottom. Taurine, which is funky. Yeah. What, how do you say that? Glucuronic acid, uh, malic acid, a couple different um, amino acids, caffeine. The, so there's more caffeine on top of it. And the energy blend, right? Yeah. Or is that blend where the caffeine comes from? I guess the caffeine comes from that blend. blend. Yeah. So what is, um, what is um, in a, so a there one is like... Oh. Two and a half cup. Notice how they have Dunkin' Donuts coffee, not Tim Hortons. Well, cause, <laughs> so one of those is two and a half cans of fucking Red Bull? Yeah, see? So that's what I think the articles I saw. Whoa, I'm totally wrong on this. Because the commercials would say that it's the same as a cup of coffee. Whoa. That's weird. Yeah, I thought they were seeing that, you know... You know, and again, it goes to that abuse thing. Just some people are overloading when they're doing schooling. They're crushing like five, and then well, they're, they're that drink. big. Yeah, it's a shot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like it's easy to do two or three of those. Yeah. If you do four or five in a row, yeah, you're taking in a thousand milligrams of caffeine. I had no idea. I thought it was, for some reason I thought it was like sixty-five milligrams. Okay, Red Bull, Rockstar. Well, where's the coffee? It doesn't have coffee on this one. Well, just find out what a Starbucks is. Find out what Starbucks coffee is. Um, I think that uh, Red Line was like a really scary one. Did you ever have one of those? No, I don't even know if those are around anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I drank a half of one of those once, and I read, and it was one of those several servings per can. Yeah, it's yeah. not a big can either, but it was like, whoa! I actually had a day in one of our shoots where I, I'd had too much uh, energy drinks, and the next day, I actually felt like I was really hungover. 16 ounces, 330 milligrams? Holy. What? Hmm. Find out if that's uh, universally uh, true, because well, what's that one I've up seen above it at there different with the numbers. three pictures? What's that? Yeah, I don't know if that's... 330, 415 for the venti. Oh, my goodness. 260 for a tall? That's incredible. Wow. That is crazy. A tall has 260 milligrams. But, you know, here's the other thing. If you get, a, like, a coffee from a diner, yeah. like a regular cup of coffee, it's way less than that. Yeah. 55. Yeah. Yeah. Eight ounce. Yeah. What is it? Five. That's decaf. That's decaf. So 55. 123. Eight ounce. Yeah, okay. Eight ounce brewed cup of coffee from a regular, you know, place is somewhere in the neighborhood of 133. If it's instant coffee, it's 93. That's a big difference. Yeah. 133 and 260. Fucking A, man. And 330 for a venti? That's insane. That's a lot of goddamn Recommended caffeine. daily limit. So, yeah. So, if you had, you know, 400 is supposed to be the daily limit. And if you have students doing four or five of those five-hour energies, right, you're going up to 1,000. You're putting yourself at risky levels. And it's so easy to do. It's so shot. Easy. Just Done. It's energy things are weird, man, because they're so prevalent. We're always looking for that boost. 
that little pick me up, but we don't want to take pills. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. pills are bad. Drink, but like you said, I'm a, like if I give myself a treat now because I try not to have energy drinks on the weekend, I'll be like, oh, I have a sugar free Red Bull and a Snickers, right? Like I'll oh, go look get at you. Yeah, <laughs> get a little crazy. Get crazy. Because uh, well, the kids are eating sugar all fucking day long, so I get jealous. Because I you let your kids eat sugar all the time, like not that? all the time, but they're you so just said bad. You did. No, well, they get into it. <laughs> they, my my boy is such a little ninja. We put all the candy on like way high to where I have to reach up. It's on, and the guy he pushes the goddamn stools in. It's in a pantry. Opens the door, pushes it up, and he'll get up there and reach up the licorice. And then we come down. And we're like, hey, where'd you get that? And he's like, from the pantry. Like, How old is he? Three. How about you keep an eye on your three-year-old, you fuck? <laughs> Jesus Christ, just letting him wander around. What about the knives? Let him pick up the... Where'd yeah. you get the gun, son? What? Uh, found it. Well, we just let him play with the butcher's knives, not the other ones. <laughs> keep an eye on him, man. <laughs> yeah, it's... Um, the sugar thing is a big draw for kids, man. It's crazy when you see, like... Uh, my daughter had a party recently. Yeah. And uh, when it came time to cut the cake, those little motherfuckers come over with a glazed look Cake, 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 Like they were asking, may I have a big piece? Yeah. May I have a big all piece? All the whipped cream. <laughs> all the whipped cream. Yeah. The little crazy little eyes. <laughs> little crazy sugar eyes. It's yeah. just weird. Like you're giving them a drug, you know? Yeah. A delicious drug. Fucking cake's awesome. Not, I'm not anti-cake. Yeah, uh, but I'm just saying, there's something weird about seeing like little five-year-olds just, just all glassy-eyed lining up to get cake. And it's all they like. I mean, we're really big on like you know, and our kids are pretty good. Like they eat fish and they eat vegetables, but they always want like I mean, when it time for candy, that sweets is what they're pushing for all the time. It's really unnatural. The, the the concentration of processed sugar in our foods is so unnatural, and the body's just not designed for it, and the rush that it gets for it. You know, for that, it's like your body wants to recreate that rush. Like, kids fucking love it. Like, find me a kid that doesn't love candy. You know, they all love it. <laughs> Just, it's gross. And there's probably a documentary in that. There, I, that's, it's an interesting one because a lot of times when people will, there's not too many that come and try to like debate me on Twitter and stuff. They don't last very long if they do. And they try to bring up wicked, stupid arguments like, well, you can abuse marijuana. And I was like, yeah, you Shut can, up. you can abuse just about anything. That's Anybody, a silly argument. It's so stupid. Those arguments are so, they're, they're mind numbing to me. Yeah. Like the Nancy Grace one. I mean, there's a, there's a picture of me and Nancy Grace side by side where yeah. Nancy Grace is talking about how yeah, she, yeah, yeah, no, marijuana that, that, makes you fat. Well, I, we posted that and it got like some of the mo like fourteen thousand likes or something like that. It's the whole thing silly. If you're a lazy person, you're going to be a lazy person. It's that simple. And it, it, even a person who's like really fit and healthy might occasionally like tying one on with their friends. Yeah. It's fun sometimes. It's just moderation. You know, there's there's plenty of things that you can do that aren't necessarily healthy if you do them all the time. But there, you're not going to really pay the price. Well, there's but, a thing yeah, there's to say. Yeah, I've we've treated. But, but this was the thing that came up with the, you know, the law enforcement we interviewed is that if the whole idea when you hear the other side is to reduce harm, right? If that's what they're selling you on, like, look, we can't allow marijuana because we're going to reduce harm. Harming somebody further with a criminal record, taking away their right to education, preventing them from job opportunities and preventing them from traveling is far more harmful than not only just marijuana, but a lot of other illegal drugs, too, because statistics show even the most addictive drugs, it's like, I think even heroin, the highest is like 30%. Like, it's a lot of people have used drugs and then yeah. don't continue to abuse them. Well, that's kind of a false narrative, though, really, because it's that no one is really trying to protect anyone. They're just trying to utilize the clause in the law that allows them to imprison you. Yeah. That's really what it is. And they, they get people to fill their prison. They get people to go through their legal system, so they validate the legal system, they validate the amount of police officers that they need, they validate the amount of prison space they need, and it all feeds into this business. 
which was also you guys talked about in the culture high. Oh, big on the the law enforcement part is a lot of people's it's, favorites, it's, right? Well, because so. it's terrifying when you realize that there's so much momentum behind that, and there's so much they have so much motivation to keep those laws in place so they can continue arresting people. Because if they don't, that industry implodes. Fifty percent of the law enforcement and the arrests in this country have to do with nonviolent crimes that involve well, drugs. It's the like Ed Burns who closes the film, right? That was a co-creator of HBO's The Wire. He's the cop that you see throughout the film that's mm -hmm. like he's scary when you sit down with him and he breaks it down how it is, right? And when you think about seizures of assets and stuff like you don't get to do that for murderers and rapists, although you should. Right. So they're incentivized, like murderers and rapists fall below as far as pro profit incentive for precincts because they don't get to take their money they if they do. They don't get asset forfeiture. Drugs, right. they do. Isn't that right? crazy? Crazy. Like if you're a murderer or a rapist, they can't take your TV. Yeah. But if you got a, like a roll of joints in a plastic bag, boom, they can just come in and start taking your shit and taking sell your it. Taking your shit. It's just, there's just so many bad laws that are in place. It's almost overwhelming. And I think for a lot of people, we get really frustrated because it seems like there's, you can't fix it all. Like I'm 47, I'll be 48 in August, which means I'm almost 50. I'm, you know, I'm a fucking middle-aged man. At, if I'm lucky, I'm yeah. a middle-aged man. I'm a grown-up, 100% grown-up, right? This is as grown-up as you get. <laughs> and yet I'm still immersed in this system that has been in this position or in a similar position since I was a child. Yeah. Very little has changed. You know, so there's been some movement towards sanity and clarity and legalization and freedom. But there's still this asset forfeiture thing, that guy with the convenience store, they're stealing his money. And, you know, the numbers that they've posted of uh, asset forfeiture takeovers yeah. over the last year or two, it's staggering. I mean, it's unfucking believable how much money it is. Well, and the murder conviction rate that we brought up in the film, how it was actually yeah. higher earlier because the cops say one of the biggest things is that resources. We, we no longer have communication with the community, so right. we can no longer prevent the crimes. Even with all our technology, forensics, DNA, everything else, murder conviction rates have gone drastically down. Yeah, they've turned cops essentially into glorified revenue collectors. That's what they've done. I mean, could you imagine, this is, we were talking about this once, could you imagine if they made soldiers write tickets in Afghanistan? <laughs> you know? You imagine if soldiers had a quota and they had to get money from the Taliban. Hey, you fucks, I saw you making an IED. Yeah. You're doing court on Tuesday and here's your piece of paper. Like, no, no, what? No. Soldiers are over there doing soldier type shit. Well, cops should be doing cop type shit. Okay, they should be arresting people for committing dangerous crimes that, that put us all in, in, in harm's way. Well, even Sean Dunnigan, who's the former DEA analyst that we interviewed with him, he talked about his dad it was a B cop in New York and he said when his dad went to work it was like a sports coat his shirt his badge his gun he's like and that's how he worked the beat he's like now it's military boots and these mm -hmm. things he's like how do you f how does the community feel like you're part of the community when you're dressed like a soldier like right, right away you know impressions and stuff that, that all matters right mm -hmm. like you don't feel communities don't feel welcome when that comes in it feels right. like there's a major problem but if a beat cop's got a sports coat and his bulletproof vest underneath his dress shirt and he's working to be like hey like look there's a missing girl has there been anything suspicious well there's a house on the end of the street but when military soldiers come up you're like kind of like whoa are you gonna come mm -hmm. raid my house are you gonna come beat us up right like it's not where a community wants to welcome them and considers them part of the community I think it also does something for the mentality of the people that are wearing the military garb too Absolutely. you pull up in a tank you're gonna have a totally different attitude than you step out of a fucking crown Victoria exactly you know, is that what those things called those 
police cars. Yeah. <laughs> LTD, Crown Victoria. Is that what those things are? Yeah, you know what I mean? It's like you, police officers should be respected and appreciated members of the community that you call upon when the shit hits the fan. And when you put them in a position where they're arresting people for pot or where you put them in a position where they're, they're being forced in these asset forfeiture situations, even giving them the license to do that becomes problematic because when you tell someone it's okay for them to do it, then they don't even have the opportunity to go, well, hey, you know, morally, is this right? Well, it doesn't matter if it's right. That's the job. The job is take the money, arrest the guy. Like, that's the job. That's the, and then you become used to that job, and it becomes fuck them, and then it becomes us versus them. Yeah. You know, and that, that attitude is the worst aspect of the relationship between law enforcement and civilians. And we need law enforcement. You know, we've talked about this uh, situation that happened in um, Baltimore, where yeah. an RT reporter was filming these young kids that were jumping around yeah, and, yeah, I and heard you guys talking. saying a bunch of shit. And then one of the kids takes her fucking purse and runs. And she's chasing after him. Give me my purse back. Give me my bag back. And she's as she's chasing this kid, a cop grabs the guy. The cops grab the guy and get her purse back. Like, you see, like, everyone's so down on the cops, yeah. everyone's so anti-law enforcement. Well, here is a situation where law enforcement actually did its duty. Yeah. And it happened in the midst of chaos where law enforcement has failed. Yeah. You know, chaos. Law enforcement killed somebody. There's these huge riots that have come up because of that. This huge separation between the community and the people that are supposedly protecting that community. And this huge rift. But then you see, like, oh, okay. Like, there is a time where law enforcement is not just beneficial, oh, but necessary. I, I have, I mean, there's no question you need law enforcement. Yeah. It's, it's just interesting, with, like, interviewing a lot of these very respected police officers and how they really talk about how it was the fundamental breakdown of dividing them, making them the enemy. Mm -hmm. Like, the drug war to them, they just say, look, I saw it. It separated yeah. communities. It made us look as the other. Because, look, if... Joe, we both have children. If something happened to them, you want justice to be done. And then if the cops are coming, like, what happened? Did someone go missing? Did someone hurt them? You want that there. But if that communication's broken and it feels more like now I'm getting interrogated, well, what did you do? And they come bullying you and, oh, we found drugs. Maybe it's your fault that this happened. It's like, no, someone hurt my kids. Like, just focus on them. Right? Well, it's also, that's also just dummies that are cops. <laughs> the problem is there's not a lot of, like in Los Angeles, they have these fucking billboards trying to get people to become cops. Because nobody wants to be a cop. You it's an incredibly not, tough job. It's I can't. fucking super dangerous, massively stressful. The PTSD these guys get, nobody brings up. Everybody talks about soldier PTSD. Yeah, Very few people respect the PTSD that cops have because they fucking have it, man. You know, uh, a friend of mine was telling me about this guy who jumped off of a building and all these cops were around and they were taking care of uh, the situation. And then they, uh, one cop showed up with donuts and they started handing donuts out. And these guys are eating donuts while they're, you know, taking witness accounts and dealing with this. They're they're so over it. They're just so over it. Like, they watch this guy splatter and become asphalt pizza, you know, jumped off of a building, and they're like, all right, another day in the job. Like, ultimately, that, that has got to fuck you. with your head. Oh, one of my good buddies from high school has become a cop in Canada, and he was talking about some of the first, like, first dead body he saw was someone that blew their head off with a shotgun. They'd use, they, because you have to use, like, a mm -hmm. stick in order to reach it or something, and then their whole face had caved in, and they were the first ones on scene, and the smell, and I was like, dude, I, like, how do you even react to that? He's like, I just pretend it's, it's like a video game, right? Like, I just, mm -hmm. I have to kind of zone out and wait for the cleanup crew, and I couldn't imagine seeing that even once a year if you had to come up on that kind of stuff. Like, right, and they're seeing it all the time, and everybody they run into on a daily basis 
is either lying to them or nervous about meeting them or is hiding something or, you know, it's just, fuck, man. I mean, it's a terrible job. It's, it's really hard to do and made way worse by the drug war. Way worse. Way, way, way worse. That, that fucking scenario where those guys, when it starts out your film, where those guys shoot that dog, like that just should show you right away, we're talking about pot. Yeah. We're not talking about anything that's going to hurt anybody. We're talking about pot. And because of that, these guys felt like they had the writing on the paper that allowed them to go in there and shoot a dog and scare the fuck to out of everybody. break into your house at three in the morning with your kids in the house and yeah. shoot your fucking dog. Meanwhile, if that was handled better, I mean, it would be a complete, like, what do you got in there? Well, it was a pipe. Okay. Well, or, uh, throw this out. I guess we'll out. give you a citation. Yeah, I mean, do they even give you a citation when you have a pipe? I mean, what, what are they going to do? Are you going to write him up? Make him go to court or something? Okay. Just don't shoot his fucking dog. Like, the whole thing is just, it's, it's insanity, and it's insanity on an almost like a fictional level. Like, it, it seems like it's fiction. Like, it's a work of, like, it's some crazy George Orwell book <laughs> from, you know, the it, olden days before we, uh, before we figured out how to live life. But we haven't figured out how to live life. We haven't figured out. That. If Not there's anything close. I've learned, we haven't figured out shit. <laughs> but don't you think that because of, like, these kind of conversations and because of the Internet and, you know, the backlash that all these archaic drug laws and drug policies have had... The backlash has been unprecedented. The amount of people that react to it today as opposed to the way they treated it in the 80s during the Reagan administration is very, is, very different. It is I mean, it's changing all over. I mean, the UK is challenging right now. Portugal decriminalized all drugs 10 years ago and had great success. In fact, we interviewed one of the scientists that went and researched that for a little bit, uh, Dr. Uh, Julian Hoopert in the UK. And he said everyone that was against them originally bringing in that bill is now can't believe that they were fighting against it. Like yeah. violent crime has gone down. They said now we can focus on the hardened criminal criminals and the big traffickers and less time. Like and the people that have substance abuse, they've seen teenage use down. All these things down. Like mm -hmm. all the horror stories you're hearing. And then Uruguay and Canada's changing policies and U.S. Every other state seems to be challenging, looking for medical legalization or then full legalization. Like. As the end of the film kind of says, like the house of cards is collapsing fast and things like these podcasts and access to information and getting the, even the way we release the film where we put it on Vimeo right away where everyone in the world could get it. And then now it's on Netflix in, I, I think it's uh, 70 different countries in 14 different languages. Like you didn't have wow. that years ago, right? Like now it's Portuguese, Dutch. I see it feels great when you work so hard on something, then you can search you know, on Twitter and we go on there and we'll search the culture high and you'll see in Dutch and Spanish and Portuguese people saying, wow, this changed my mind. It's amazing. Like you didn't have, you weren't able to reach out like that before, right? There's a time and connectivity with podcasts and internet. We talk about this in the film. You kind of go over it actually like it's changing so quick and you can't bullshit people the way you used to. Yeah. And it's, it's only getting more and more in involved in people's lives it's only getting more and more invasive and i should the word invasive sounds negative but the technology has allowed information to get to you so quickly it's virtually impossible to lie about facts now it's just it's just too hard it's just too hard i mean we're going to come uh, there's going to come a point in time sometime in our lives where all this stuff has reached some sort of a boiling point and that boiling point is, it's, it's going to make 
us look like fools for going through our lives the way we did, like in the 80s and the 90s. It's going to really make society look like a bunch of monkeys with guns and badges and pieces of paper with things written on it. And, and then we acted on those. Like uh, We're, we're going to look just as ridiculous as the people that were involved in the Inquisition or the people that were burning witches in Salem. All that's actually, I don't think they really burned witches. Do you know that? That's kind didn't of bullshit. They, didn't they drown them? Yeah, they drowned them. <laughs> like but witch. Burning? It was a lose lose where it was yeah. like if you don't drown, you're a witch. Yeah. Uh, and if you do drown, sorry, we fucked up. Do you know what they think was the cause of all that? Did you ever uh, read into that? Uh. Uh-uh. They think it was ergot poisoning. Ergot is a type of fungus that exists in wheat that has a similar effect to LSD. And they believe that it was because of a late frost and that a lot of the wheat got damaged and it causes this fungus to grow on the wheat. Like they did some samples, core samples of the, the, the dirt, and they found like uh, some certain climatological clues that lead them to, to believe that that could have very possibly happened. That ergot poisoning in the wheat caused people to have these crazy acid-like effects and they thought they were bewitched. That makes perfect sense. I'd read some of the stuff, too, where it was some people were having, like, uh, mistresses and stuff like that, and it was a way to shut up the lower people, like, the common folk. Drown them? Yeah, just Jesus be like, you're Christ. a witch, right? Like, we'll get rid of that. <laughs> Honey, she I don't know. bewitched I me. I didn't look deep into that, so. Yeah, maybe. Well, I'm sure people have done horrible things <laughs> in the past, and uh, I, they will continue to do so until we can read minds. I think that's going to be the big one, man. Once we once we have some sort of a way to read each other's own mental database. Well, I've heard you talk about brains. that in the podcast and I agreed so much where it was just like if you took lying off the table where instantly mm-hmm. it was like you were tapped in and it was like as soon as somebody said something it was like we were all tapped into Google like essentially it was building it was like oh he's lying. Like I've got the information that's mm-hmm. bullshit, right? Like well not only that, forget about even information. Yeah. How about your own thoughts and feelings? Like, don't be a bull, like, if you're not a politician or a bullshit artist, like, if I could see, if I could look at you and I see green, which means everything's groovy. Yeah. And then as soon as it turns yellow, I'm like, oh, Adam might be bullshitting. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we went red. Yeah. I mean, that's not outside of the realm of possibility. They've already shown that they can tell there's certain things that they could read in a person's brain if they're being deceptive. And they've even used fMRI in a case in India to convict a woman of a crime because she had what they call functional knowledge of the crime scene. And it's very controversial. And neuroscientists, what's that? fMRI, which is functional MRI, magnetic resonance imagery. And, um, you know, MRI they have if you have an injury, you want to look at the the tissue. Functional MRI is a type of MRI they use to scan brain activity. And they believe that this is like the baby steps to be able, being able to actually read the mind definitively. Like right now they're getting these signals and the signals are very controversial because some people say, well, having a functional knowledge of the crime scene could have been imparted on her by the case by the evidence by reviewing the evidence with the lawyers like somehow or another they could have imparted this somehow in her mind or you know being interrogated or investigated about it um but just the point being that they're starting to hone in on various aspects of the brain and various like whether or not you're deceptive or nervous or whether or not like and who knows 
Like right now, this is like the this is the Morse code of mind Preliminary, reading, yeah, 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 yeah. as opposed to high speed video on Vimeo, which yeah. is what we got now. Yeah, you know, I mean, think about the difference between just a couple of hundred years ago. If you were on the other side of the world, they would have to send a series of fucking beep 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 beep, beep oh, and, you and technology is accelerating at a pace that yeah. like we've never seen. Things are coming out every day, and I I, I can't even believe them. Like like three D printing blows my mind. I don't know how Pretty they're like freaking. printing ears and like organs. Like what are they using as material? I don't understand that. I don't I don't get how that works. It's well the organ thing is not 3d printing What the organ thing is they're taking tissue samples and stem cells and they're they're using skin cells to create new bladders for people They they built this woman an esophagus. She had esophageal cancer and they used a 3d printer to make like the scaffolding for the cells and the cells grew and then they replaced her esophagus like fucking bananas, but the, I think like the exponential growth of this sort of technology, if you apply it, like look at communication, you apply it to like Morse code to uh, high speed video that's available streaming on your phone. Yeah. I mean, it's an amazing leap. I think that same thing applied to the mind and to understanding the signals of the mind is going to almost leave us in a position where we have no choice but to be honest. And when we have no choice but to be, but to be honest, we're going to live in a different world. Very There's going to be no world. more cults. The, the whole Scientology <laughs> thing is going to go out the window. The Vatican what? collapse. What? All that shit's going down. And it, it's going to go down just based on information and truth. The ability to recognize that someone... And it's still... Opinions are still going to exist. There's still going to be debate. You know, you could, you could, you could believe what you're saying yeah. and be truthful in your opinions. Then it'll come a matter of the distribution of information disproving you and getting into you and then finding out, oh, well, it's purple. He's self-deceptive. Yeah. Like, this is what's going on. This guy's got a blockage in. Yeah, because, I mean, if that's something that really fascinates me going clear is just, like, how this guy that seemed to have some kind of mental illness he was trying to diagnose himself, like, mm -hmm. constantly putting him how he was able to convince people so emphatically to like follow him, like where he had them out on a ship and he was hiding in well, country. Look at your shirt. Yeah. Look at your shirt. You see that shirt? Yeah. That's Prime a chimp. Nature. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the problem. We have chimp DNA still yeah. in our system, man. That on it chimp that you're wearing on your t-shirt. Chimps, that's a big part of our fucking ancestry, the, the following alpha male behavior. And, you know, ultimately that's archaic and ultimately this this need to find someone that it used to be the tribal leader, the old gray man with the scars that learned from all of his mistakes and could impart his wisdom on you and make your life a little bit easier because this guy's already learned these things been and he can, yeah, he can teach me. I mean, we all know that we all have had mentor figures when we were growing up, a, a, a person who's older than us that perhaps had more wisdom, more life experience and could cut a lot of the learning stage out cut a lot of the the pitfalls that you might experience the trial and error and I think that you know that's that's a big part of what's wrong with people is we we get scared when we don't have answers what about the, the part that was interesting to me those like how you even had people like like Paul Haggis mm -hmm. and stuff like got caught up in that where he like, was really young though yeah you know when you're really young you're really impressionable, impressionable and yeah. I, I could have got sucked into Dianetics when I was younger I know I could have the beginning parts of it are pretty can like you said the science yeah. and like making well like I was like oh, I could see how I I think I got tested like several years ago where they go in here and like what mm -hmm. were you thinking about right there and it was yeah. like like they were trying to hand out pamphlets actually right by the where the hotel where we're staying they're like here i was just telling my my buddy that came with me trent i was like that's it that's sign they say like do you want to do a personality test right yeah. like that's how it starts right come on the little i did one in 2008 2007 2008 
and uh, yeah, I held on to the cans, like the whole thing, and the 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 the, re the meter. But the guy who was doing it with me was like kind of depressed. He was very like low enthusiasm. It wasn't pitching it very well at all. He was just a bummed out dude. And you could tell, like, he just really wasn't into Didn't it. give a shit. <laughs> it was weird. It was just, he kind of had to do well, it. Well, he was only going to pay 25 cents or whatever, like the slave. Probably, they yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Sea Org, right? That they get yeah, the Sea Org. Insanely low. You know, I went on, uh, like, a YouTube watching binge after I watched that documentary. Yeah. And that David Miscavige, whatever the guy's name is, his, his own niece wrote a book about him. And, you know, she was one of the people that was in the Sea Org. And, like, there was this, yeah, she's, she got interviewed by, what's that fuckhead's name from England that was took over for Larry King for a while before they ousted him? Piers oh, Morgan. Oh, Piers Morgan. <laughs> um, she uh, um, was on his show and just talking about the ridiculous existence that they lived, you know, ma maintaining all these uh, different properties and all these different things, essentially through slave labor by all their employees. And now they discourage them from having children and they would try to get them to have abortions and just like, oh, it's awful. The, it, it was the thing that scared me the most about it too is that I could really see a lot of similarities to other ideologies mm -hmm. and the way that it managed its way. Like it almost like it's a virus when you learn requirement-based selling, right? I used to come from a sales background. There's a way that humans can, you find their business motives and buying objectives and you can kind of circle around and get them emotional buys. There's mm -hmm. ways that just humans kind of react, right? You get them excited. Well, does this bug you about your business? Well, when you like a solution to that? Yes, I would like a solution to that, right? And then you can, mm -hmm. and that you'd see the similarities when I was watching that, like, yes, Scientology in that movie freaked me out, but I was like, man, I could see how so many others would get you looped into that, right? Like make you feel good and then make you feel part of a team and then suck you in on this and giving up your money it, it, the whole thing freaked me out i thought alex gibney did great he's the top dog for docs right now like alex gibney is the guy that as a documentary filmmaker we look up to like he's the one that he definitely did a great job with that documentary but the the scientologists are hounding him now hounding right? yeah. <laughs> yeah what do they do like what, how are they hounding him what, what can they do i, I don't know other than uh, they should just watch it yeah <laughs> and go maybe we're crazy shit. Yeah. <laughs> smoke a joint watch that shit and go god what are we doing yeah. what are we doing this guy was nuts maybe we can change it a little bit and make it better right when you see way. tom cruise salute lrh we did it you know that part was like you know, really what? fucking it's scary amazing. to me like he's it. saluting him like he's like an apostle like this That's he's like we've done it even now. better it's like he's military like a you know? and then he get they give him that ridiculous giant gold medal <laughs> he's all excited like yes here's my medal his medal is like a fucking flavor flav clock one they just created <laughs> for him it wasn't even according to the film it wasn't even something that was there before they just wanted what's his name that Muscavage created mm -hmm. it to be like to kind of bring him back in like you're yeah. getting this medal that like nobody else gets it's amazing it's really beautiful and if you're a fan of human folly like I'm a big fan of folly I love when people fuck up yeah <laughs> I just uh, not necessarily that I want people to fuck up I just love I love like clear undeniable craziness like that kind of stuff like seeing Tom Cruise standing on a podium with this fucking gold medal talking to that guy saying I've never met a man more honorable more noble yeah. like, like I've been saluting we to did it. H we did it that part almost as I was watching it almost seemed like a movie clip to me yes. like he was in character yes. I was watching it being like yeah. this is real they like yeah. they really had this this wasn't yeah that guy's amazing Tom Cruise is amazing <laughs> Amazing in that he's just so first of all brilliant actor. Yeah, but just so goddamn wacky off the charts wacky 
But you've covered that perfect on the podcast. I couldn't agree more where when you become really famous, world famous, to where, like, you know, nine out of ten people know your name, and you just have yes How men. How about or, ten out of ten? Yeah. Tom Cruise? It might yeah. be, like, it might be more than it nine might be out nine, of 9.8. It's, like, 999 out of 100, at the very least, right? Yeah, I, I would say. So you just have nothing but yes men saying everything you did. Like, you come up with an idea that's clearly crazy, as you're saying, mm-hmm. or ridiculous, but everyone around you doesn't want to get you upset or get fired. So yeah. they're like, no, 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 that's great. That's brilliant. You can save the world. You are. Well, when you're like a Tom Cruise and you're like literally 999 out of 1,000 people know who the fuck you are. Like, what, what, it's probably more than that, right? Don't you think it's more than that? I would say it's out of 100,000 people, three don't know who Tom Cruise is. I would really be willing to say I, that. I, I'd put money on that. I, I think the maybe number, ten, maybe ten. <laughs> yeah, and maybe little kids, but yeah. adults. Yeah, from eighteen on. Let's go from eighteen okay, on. Yeah. It's like so close to hundred percent. Know who he is? Yeah, it's so close. I think you know. I had Dom Herrera on the podcast yesterday. He's friends yeah. with Cher, and he used right. to open up for Cher all the time. And Cher would ask. She's been famous since she was nineteen. Yeah, and she would ask him questions like, "What's it like out there? What's it like? What's it like? What are people like?" Like, what's it like to go to the movies? And he, like, made her, like, come out with him in Montreal. He's like, <laughs> what did he say? He said, leave the top hat and cane at home and just come on outside. And she's just so weirded out by people because she's been famous for so long that she's completely alienated. And I think Tom Cruise is very similar to that. He's been a movie star since The Wanderers. Like, what year was that? The Outsiders, rather? Outsiders, the yeah, Outsiders. The Outsiders. That's, yeah. like, 81 or something like that, I want to say. I mean, it's something incredibly long ago. What was it? 83. 83. So, 1983, he's been a fucking huge star since. I mean, that's insane. Insane. That's 32 years? Is that right? How is that possible? 32 years, it looks exactly the same. He's a fucking vampire. That's yeah, what he yeah, is. He fucking looks find really coffin. good. He's in good shape. Amazing. Like, like, How old is he? It's like 51 or something? Yeah. Looks great. Looked a little worn out in that Cameron Diaz movie, but yeah. do a movie with Cameron Diaz, see how you turn out. 52? 52? Handsome bastard. Yeah. Um, but look at this. Him with the fucking metal with the giant the giant sign, the globe behind them. And what's with all them I don't oh. get what's with all them wearing like the military outfits, like with the badges, like they mm. won, they went to war. They Yeah, they they warred against Xenu. They beat Xenu. Oh. oh, it's fucking Oh, look, Xenu. Oh. Wow, I just I, I'm a, just a really big fan of wacky people like that that are so over the top, but yet so undeniably successful and so brilliant at what they do. What's that movie tomorrow? The day after tomorrow? The edge of tomorrow? Edge of tomorrow? Is that what it is? I really love that movie. Oh, the, recent, the recent sci- sci-fi science fiction movie. It bombed. Only I thought it was Did a it bomb? great. Yeah, they didn't do well. Really? Yeah, it didn't make. Didn't it's probably well. all of his wackiness. The wackiness is probably catching up. Oh, I I think so. I mean, it it might have, I'd heard that just its opening months was not good, right? They were not what they were expecting. But when you watch the movie, I agree. I I really I remember thinking that was one of the best movies that came out that summer. It was a really good story. It was very unique. The way very they made well the done. aliens was very different and like the concept of redoing the day. I thought it was great. I did really it enjoyed not, it. Did it not do well? Well, I know he experienced a big drop in uh, his popularity or the pe- the way people respected him after he did that do- that uh, interview with Oprah. Matt Lauer. I thought it was the Oprah one no, where he was, was crazy on the couch. That was the- <laughs> chicks loved that. I'm in love. Please, yeah. <laughs> that was that is not how a man ever behaves when he's in love. 
ever. That Are is, you sure? That is a guy who loves dick, who's pretending to be in love with a chick. He's got a whole team of people covering up for the fact that he loves dick. But um, no, he did that Matt Lauer one where he's uh, getting on Brooke, Brooke Shields for being on antidepressants. Oh, that's right. That's and, right. He know. said you can just correct it with exercise. and yeah, Well, you can help it. But I mean, the idea that you, you understand what's going on in her brain. Like, I'm sorry, dude. What kind of research have you done? Yeah. About, especially what kind of tests have you run but on he, Brooke in particular? But Go he's, on. But he's cold trickle, so he knows what's up, right? What is Day, cold trickle? Days of Thunder. Cold trickle. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how you remember that. I remember him from Top Gun. Well, that was a big one, too. <laughs> All right, Adam Scorgi, we're out of time, dude. But uh, thank you very much for doing this, and dude. thank you very much for putting together two fucking amazing documentaries, The yep. Union and The Culture High. It's been a real honor and a pleasure to be in those. Joe, so no, I appreciate it. Thank you, man. Like not just for being a part of those and, and dedicating your time, but you know, always promoting and helping. You've really helped our careers, so I can't thank you enough for. I'm happy you're around, dude. Keep doing what you're doing. I'm gonna Do try, some more man. cool shit. I'm Keep going. Try, Have you back on again. All right, man. Uh, you can find Adam Scorgi online. What is your Twitter handle again? It's Adam Score with a G, like score like a goal, because that's how my name's pronounced. And there's also the Culture High one word, which is available. Also, uh, uh, it's uh, the Twitter handle, and it's available right now on iTunes. It's available Amazon on Prime, Google Plus, basically any platform, and it's on Netflix International in 70 countries and 14 different languages. And it's fucking excellent. It is really excellent. Thank you, my brother. No, really thank appreciate you, man. It. I appreciate it, Joe. All right, you fucks. That's it for this week. We'll see you next week. Much love. Big kisses.